0: she is boy podcast that celebrates all movies from the sublime to the suspicious. As always, I'm Lindsay Wilkins. And we're heading into a Singvember of of sorts, with a few musical episodes coming out through the month, all by accident, but I am absolutely here for it. Um, And to kick this collection of sorts off, we're heading into the fringes of Hollywood with an incredible double of Robert Aldridge's Whatever Happened to Baby Jane and... Mervyn Leroy's or more likely more Rosalind Russell's Gypsy from 1962 and of course here with me I have one of the greats I mean you can hear her on all sorts of podcasts from Cobwebs, Film Feast, The Film Alchemist, um, all the kind of the just the great ones she is of course Carmelita
1: Valdell's McCoy. Hey how's it going?
0: Hey Lindsay!
1: It's so uh, good to be back on Ah. Uh,
0: oh it's so good to have you. Um, Yeah just watching these movies I was just like sitting on the couch going giddy going oh I'm gonna get to talk about these movies and they're perfect and I'm gonna talk them with Carmelita which is gonna even be better. So no this is gonna be an amazing amazing double and thank you so much for coming back on the show.
1: Oh thank you for having me. The feeling is ever so mutual. I've been oh, like all day, I've been like, "Okay, is it time to record?" I had, there's just so much to say. Oh my god, I have so
0: I don't think I've had this many notes for a double ever. So this is kind of very. <laughs> I'm gonna make this as convoluted as possible. Apparently, but,
1: <laughs> I love um, it. I'm here for it.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, it's gonna be great. Before we get into it, um, have you always kind of the per, kind of the perfect guest? Cause you go on, you know so much, you're passionate. Any um thing you've been. You've been recording with other shows or you've just been chilling with Ruby?
1: Oh, yeah. What, I'm in a little lull at the moment. Mm. I think the last the last guest spot I did was recently on Cobwebs mm. for their Fly Friday series in October. Yes. That was fun. Mm. So everyone can go check out Cobwebs because those came out in October for Halloween. Mm-hmm. Uh, also got to do an October episode with, Uh, film alchemist Mm. uh, on the craft so you you know it's not October but you can be spooky all year long so if anyone missed those podcasts they had great content great horror discussions all October Um, but yeah just kind of a lull now post post the greatest month of the year now (laughs) I'm just kind of coasting
0: Yes, everyone's just a bit tired so
1: after October, but no, those episodes were really great, and I did love how Gr- uh, Griffin got
0: very feisty on the on the on the craft episode.
1: <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's it's kind of funny that we're doing that. You and I are going to talk about whatever happened to Baby Jane because. Mm. It's totally a
0: horror movie. Oh, absolutely. Like I sort of I'd heard a few rumblings of like, no, it's more of a psychological thriller. And then when I'm watching, well, I'm like, yeah, no, this is absolute horror. I mean, there's the gothic element. I mean, Betty. D- uh, OK, I, yeah, we'll, we're going we'll, get- to we'll get it. We'll get into it. But I have things on both Joan and Betty and what movies they're actually in. But we will get into it.
1: Totally. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that we're we're stretching. We're stretching. It's because, yeah, I believe in being spooky all year. So let's just keep that going.
0: Let's just keep it going cuz uh both these uh, movies are absolute masterpieces and as we will get into it. Now of course this is schlock and all I forgot to ask you off Mike cuz we we're getting excited about something else uh but did you pick some trailers for um Oh I did. Excellent. So as we were getting into uh whatever happened to Baby Jane uh the most of what I god I love this movie. Um if you're going to the curtains are opening and if you're going to be showing a trailer for this movie what would you pick uh
1: so you know it i would be remiss <laughs> if i didn't choose something from one of the the two powerhouse actors that are yes. in this film so my first trailer is for *Straight Jacket* from 1964.
2: from the loneliness and simplicity of an isolated farm to the sophisticated elegance of a country estate Straightjacket mounts to a crescendo of electrifying suspense. Sinister. (gasps) Frightening. Bill! Bill! Don't you go in that room! Joan Crawford in a shattering screen portrayal. A frantic woman pressured by straightjacket tension. Leave me alone! You let go
0: of me! Listen to me! nice yeah um,
1: directed yes. by William Castle yes. written by Robert Block starring Joan Crawford it's okay I'm not gonna say it's a great movie
2: but, but it's I won't go kind that of, far
1: <laughs> it's kind of a great movie just not in the great great way <laughs> yes exactly that's exactly what it is it's yeah. and it's 64 so it's post whatever happened to baby Jane and mm. I think which I'm sure we'll get into as we talk about Baby Jane, you know, you have these these mature actresses who, Mm. you know, are at this point in their lives in their mid to late 50s, pushing 60. And these are the kind of roles that presented themselves. And, And it's a lot of fun to watch them transition into these really interesting like kind of campy, schlocky movies, which I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how they felt about doing them, but I love watching them do these types of films.
0: Uh, Me too. Cause I was sort of, uh, for my trailers, I was sort of wondering which kind of, cause I was also wanted to play trailers from these powerhouse actors. And I was kind of like, do I go for their prime 1940s dramatic roles or do I go for their post baby Jane, more schlocky, Exploitation esque kind of movies because yeah. there's a, you can see that kind of break, um, definitely between this movie of, um, I guess older women in movies and then we'll get into it, but it's kind of fascinating. And yeah, I really do love Straight Jacket. I don't think it is a great, I don't even think it's one of William Castle's best movies, but I think, yeah, I don't know how they felt about doing these movies, but they always gave it 110%. Like every single time yeah. you watch them in this movie, they are there for a job, they understand the assignment, and I'm definitely more familiar with, especially Joan Crawford's um, post Baby <laughs> Jane movies, more than her um, her other her before her ultimate movie star kind of movies. But um, no, this is a absolutely perfect trailer just to get everyone in the mood because everyone
1: knows the tone of that movie going into Baby Jane. <laughs> oh, definitely, and and Straight Jacket, I think, is it's the closest on screen that Joan Crawford gets to the portrayal of her in the movie um Mommy Dearest. It's like yes. the closest thing.
0: <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I do it's actually call this life. phase yeah. No, I do call call this phase of her career the the Mommy Dearest um uh, stage even though she was never in Mommy Dearest. No. <laughs> but it's that kind of wild eyed. <laughs> oh, <laughs> kind man. of
1: thing. So. Yeah, it's 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 wild. Wild is the appropriate adjective. It's yeah. It's bonkers
0: um oh absolutely and because you're going into that kind of straitjacket kind of thing era i'm actually going to because i had two kind of versions of trailers i was possibly going to show um i'm actually going to go for hollywoodland from 2007 by Alan colton
2: the guy used to play superman he shot himself what someone thinks he didn't mr reeves why don't you tell me about him a charming man I'm much too old for you, you know. Your husband is the general manager of MGM. Tell me what you want. You can have it. Where he wound up, it should have been enough. What are these? These marks. What do you do, beat himself up before he shot himself? Dead detective. What he you got? Some questions. Since one do suicides miss twice and start over? That's unusual. You ever been to a party where a man goes upstairs and blows his head off? No.
0: Then how do you know what's unusual? Now I can't remember if this was an HBO TV movie or if it was actual theatrical, but it stars Ben Affleck as George Reeves, the original Superman. And kind of going into his later um, non-career, I guess, of him just being typecast as this one thing and never being able to shake it. um. And it is actually a really solid movie. It's kind of, it feels like a true crime TV kind of movie, but with just some really, really great performances. And I kind of think it kind of suits, it, not sh- what Baby Jane goes into, but that kind of vibe. And I think it would be a kind of a good trailer to show.
1: Nice. I haven't seen it. Now it's, I have to. It's really solid, actually. Just watching it going, huh, this is actually really good. <laughs> I didn't expect this movie to be as good. <laughs> This is one of my favorite things about Schlockanah is that you're always so creative with your trailer picks and it it prompts me to go see things that I, I missed out on. So adding that uh, to my homework list. <laughs> no, it's actually really good. It's
0: one of those movies where
1: you're watching it and you go, oh yeah, Ben Affleck's got something
0: going on. I always forget he does. And then you watch this and you're like, oh yeah, yeah that's,
1: that's it, it's there. Um, What is your second trailer? So my second trailer, because... I'm kind of doing this Betty Davis, Joan Crawford, where were they in 1964 thing two years after Mm -hmm. whatever happened to Baby Jane. Well, I'm going to show Dead Ringer from 1964. Ah, I still need to see this.
2: These two widely separated women share some intimate and amazing secrets. These secrets, I suggest, will keep you fascinated right up to the end of our new picture, Dead Ringer. One secret I will tell you right now both these women are played by Betty Davis. You, you can get rid of this place. You, you can get rid of it and, and take a trip to outer space. Money's no object. How much would you like? You haven't got that much! Now sit down!
0: Yes, it's cut kind of, yeah. I no, this is my homework assignment. Um I know of it, um, but I definitely do need to see this
1: movie.
0: Is it a psycho so, twin movie or am I getting it completely wrong? Yes,
1: it's a psych it's like a noir like psycho killer twin movie. It's mm. I just watched this for the first time in preparation mm. for our discussion. And so it's still very fresh. And I gotta tell you, it's It's a really, it's a really fun movie. It's, it's kind of dark and, you know, Betty Davis is giving it her all, Mm. of course, like she always does. Um, It also stars Carl Malden, who is in our other film for the opening. Yes, yes, he is. Uh, Yeah, so no, it was really fun. It was fun to watch. And if you like this kind of late career Betty Davis. If you like the hag exploitation thing, mm. you're gonna enjoy it. Oh, that no, it's definitely on
0: the list. It actually has been on the list for a while. Um, so no, I am definitely gonna have to put that on the. I need to, I need to watch this this movie because this, yeah, again, I love their post uh, Baby Jane exploitation kind of movies. Um, and, it. But, yeah, this this looks fun. Um, okay, so for my final trailer, actually, you know what, I'm gonna go slightly classy. I wanted to show at least one trailer of one of these women and their kind of what they would probably be, prefer to be known for. Um, So I'm going to go for, I think this actually won all the Oscars, uh, the Mildred, uh, Mildred Pierce, Marco Cortez,
2: 1945. A name gasped in the night, the one last word of a dying man, but one word that tells a thousand stories of a woman who left her mark on every man she met. Mildred had more to offer a man in a glance than most women give in a lifetime. Mildred knew what she wanted; it wasn't too particular how she got it. Mildred, loving her was like shaking hands with the devil. Well, I, uh, I wonder why you brought me here tonight. I mean, all of a sudden, boom! Husband gone, soft lights, quiet room, opportunity. You make me feel—I
0: oh, don't know. Warren. And wanted. Um, this is just a great family drama noir when you have the worst family in the world, and which is going to fit in beautifully with um, Baby Jane. But it's kind of the movie that I think Joan Crawford would want to be remembered for more than anything else. But it's just a great movie, and I think it kind of shows Joan Crawford at her most movie star, powerful esque, if that makes sense. And then you're going to be rolling into baby Jane.
1: <laughs> no that's great i love it mildred <laughs> Pierce is, is fantastic <laughs> and the juxtaposition of 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 what joan crawford's doing in the two films is <laughs> and just where she was in her life yeah that would be really cool to see that trailer and then go into baby jane definitely yeah.
0: yes because I, I just watched also for Billy davis the now voyager from 1942 which is a movie i really really liked um, even though it's almost like a dramatic version of she's all that. But it's <laughs> <laughs> um it's, it's it's really good, to, and you kind of see um, but I think Joan Crawford was so much more the movie star than I think Biddy Davis was, but I think she was more the actor. Like she wanted to act. Joan Crawford wanted to be the movie star, from what I can gather. Um, especially watching her in this this movie, at uh, both movies, actually. So um yeah, I guess that we are going to be leading in to whatever happened to Baby Jane. Um, maybe one of the greatest movies of the 60s. <laughs> it's-
2: From these elements, director Aldrich has fashioned a motion picture with a curious title. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? Betty Davis <laughs> is Jane Hudson. <laughs> Joan Crawford is Blanche Hudson. But we must warn you, if you're long-standing fans of Miss Davis and Miss Crawford, this motion picture is quite unlike anything they have ever done. It is a bold essay in the art of the macabre, a venture to the ultimate reaches of terror. A motion picture definitely not for the squeamish. And we beg you, as the tension builds to the screaming point, as shock after shock assaults your senses, try to remember but this is only a motion picture.
0: I only actually saw this for the first time five years ago. Uh when did you first see? Because I asked you if you wanted to do this. So I wasn't actually I assumed you liked this movie. I didn't actually know if you were a fan or not.
1: <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. This is this is one that I caught bits and pieces at first you know, one afternoon watching Turner Classic Movies on TV way Mm. back when, before streaming, Mm. when you just kind of had to turn on the TV and take your chances. Mm. And Turner Classic Movies was a pretty good bet that there'd be something on there you'd want to watch. And so there's a lot of classic films that I caught that way. Turning on the TV and then just like going along for the ride, whatever, whatever they were showing I was watching. Um, and then you know, this is a film that I continue to go back to over and over again. I just love it. I think it's it's one of my it's one of my favorites, honestly. I I think it might be one of my favorites as well. This is the third
0: time I've seen it and like every great masterpiece, it kind of opens up the more you watch it. Like you really kind of every time you watch it, you really start nailing in, in in between the dynamic um between uh, Joan and, and Betty. Now I know this kind of movie gets kind of overshadowed with the feud. Um and you can't help but the first the first time I read and uh, watched it, I couldn't help at the back of my mind because you knew that famous Hollywood feud the two apparently hated each other and actively tried to I mean I love the fact that Joan was um, actively campaigning against Betty Davis but I wouldn't ask for this movie. <laughs> um it's kind of it's kind of amazing in that respect. Um, and, but from what I've read, it was kind of 50, 50. Yeah. They did really not get along, but it was more two powerful women in the same room who knew they had to compete and they knew the feud was good for business. Um, so I think that was a lot of it as well, but the more I watch it, the more that kind of washes away and I can just watch this movie um, with the, these two, because these two women are the movie. It's not anything big else. And Robert Ridge was smart to know that, you're in a house you're in with these two women we just have to see this go and um that dynamic between them is absolutely amazing um this time around I kind of realized that it's not just Betty really gaslighting Joan it's a bit of both ways um like I think she I think she's re- because the revelation at the end where you find out what actually happened to the, the car accident at the beginning, but okay. There's so many things I want to say about this movie. So I'm getting jumbled. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. First of all, who do you think bought the house?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one of those. That's one of those interesting little details in this film, right? Yeah. That you've got the, she said, she said. Yes. Um, I I tend to think that the house was actually purchased name on the deed Blanche. Yes. Yeah. But you could you could make an argument that there's there's no way Blanche gets to where she got without baby Jane's success keeping the family afloat until Blanche could reach stardom so yes so it's like everything in this film it's complicated between these sisters it's a tangled mess yes because I think that is the perfect way of saying it that's kind of what I
0: keep going back to I mean it's literally who bought the house is literally two throwaway pieces of dialogue between them it doesn't actually matter to the whole of the rest of the movie on where it goes except for the fact that um Joan wants to or um Blanche wants to sell sell the house and this is what's kind of the catalyst for um Jane to start doing what she's doing but at the same time um it's kind of that complicated mess of who did what who was doing who was more successful who is the bigger star um and you can't untangle that at all it's not especially at the beginning when you see uh, baby Jane doing her thing and the way she says daddy is just creepy and amazing. Um, and then she goes, Joan goes back and does it. It's just like, oh, my God. Uh, no, uh, Betty goes back and does it. Sorry, again, the two women confused. Um, and it's just this kind of um, amazing dynamic. And you can see Blanche, who's the old one. Again, we'll get into Gypsy, who is not being seen, who's not the star. She's kind of on the sidelines and you've got this ringleted haired little girl who's singing her heart out and who is the popular one. Um, but then it sort of slowly goes the other way because at the long run, Blanche probably has more talent than Jane ever had. Cause Jane can do one thing. Um, but the tangled mess that has, when they get to those positions is so tangled and so entwined, you don't necessarily know who's kind of remembering things wrong Who's kind of who's jealous of who? Who's kind of this very intertwined, complicated relationship? And it's I kind of nailed in on, on. okay. So who did actually buy the house?
1: <laughs> who is who is the breadwinner <laughs> of this family? Because it's either or at this stage. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, I think I think the pairing of these two films is really cool because Gypsy is two over two hours. Yes. And and it's a beautiful story and we love it and we'll get there. But yeah. in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, that first sequence, the opening of this film, is a distillation <laughs> of so much of what we'll talk about later with Gypsy. Yes. But it perfectly sets up Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Sets up this film perfectly. We find out everything we need to know about how these sisters grew up and how the family dynamic formed Mm. and how that informs where they are as middle-aged women. Yes. Where we find them in in the movie's present day. It's like Mm. this quick sequence, and we see that the father doted on Jane, that Jane was coddled and kowtowed to because she was the meal ticket for the family. Yes. That, you know, that she's been groomed into this perfect little saccharine sweet baby doll. Mm. And of course nobody can be a baby doll forever for the rest of your life. It's not, she possible. tries, <laughs> she, she tries, tries. <laughs> she tries with disastrous results, Oh, you know, and you, and you see um, that their mother, is you know dressed in really drab colors and she's just kind of in the wings Mm. quiet doesn't intervene she does say to blanche gives her the advice or maybe the hope or her wish Mm. that blanche will treat her father and her sister better than they've treated her Mm. and and it just sets up the whole the whole backstory in this one interaction. And you can imagine that it was like this every town on the tour. Yes. It and would have yeah whole childhood. That that's how it was.
0: It, yeah, it would have been. And then kind of what I love also is that the first time you're introduced to more. Well, you're not introduced to uh, Blanche and Jane or Biddy and Joan straight away. You actually see them in their. 30s film work which i loved it was um a screening of the two execs when you first see betty which i think i found the movie it was the ex-lady from 1933 i think uh-huh. I, I never have seen any of their pre oh, I'm actually alive there's one silent movie i've seen jonah um and that's sort of fascinating and then you see another 1930s movie of someone of a teenager watching it on tv in 1960 in the ni- early 60s and this is this kind of perfect way of sort of showing how time has um It's kind of changing and so yeah they're in vaudeville then they're at the studio system in the 1930s and then you see the accident and then all of a sudden you have a teenager watching an old movie like you watch this movie on tcm kind of the 60s version of of that and it's kind of this way of how the media kind of changed the perceptions of these women have changed and i love the fact when you first see blanche she's watching that same movie on tv it's this, oh, yeah. it's this kind of wonderful. It's this kind of wonderful way of showing how media has changed. You were now in the '60s, where it's more modern. There's TV. Um, people are digesting media very, very differently to what they were. And unfortunately, when you meet um, Jane as Betty Davis for the first time, she just has not moved with the times at all. She, you can tell, this is a woman that does not watch TV. She's still kind of wearing these. Um, as the movie goes on, she goes full baby Jane but she's kind of still in these older clothes still insists on having the ringlets um and it's kind of this thing of this woman not necessarily I don't think she's stuck in time but I think she just hates the time that she's living in
1: yeah you know I think yeah yeah it's it's her her golden period Mm. the moment when she was riding high She was in pastel and bows and rosettes and flouncy dresses. And, you know, that was that was her golden era. It kind of reminds me of a more extreme version of like, I remember when I was a kid and I would see adults like my best friend's mother or, you know, my mom, even, Mm. you know, I'd see I'd see teachers and they were dressed a certain way and I'd always see them dressed in a particular style and then you'd figure out like you would do the math and you'd realize like oh this is what they this is the type of style they wore when they were young mm. and it's what they feel comfortable in and so now well into their 40s and 50s they're still wearing a modified version of that same style oh that was popular when they were growing up
0: yeah. It's like, but it's uh, the same here. It's the same. Yeah. But the same thing is that now being a middle-aged woman, I can look back in that and go, Oh, I still do that. Like I still love, um, a very specific kind of sneaker that I wore in the nineties or, um, the fact that I kind of will never grow out of slightly flared jeans because in 1998, everyone wore flares. I don't know why the, 70s came the back in. It was the thing. Um, I'm still not going to say no to that. Or I like when I found out cargo pants had come back, you've never seen me so excited. Like I was just, (laughs) finally I can wear cargo pants again. Um, and I think I do Like my favorite music is still stuff I listened to back when I was in that nineties, basically the nineties and early two thousands. I think that's kind of where, and it hasn't actually changed all that much. And so I think you're right when you're kind of, when you kind of get older, you just, the things you liked when you were young, you still carry with you. There is, because they are a part of you. And unfortunately, Jane at her peak was 10. And she's still carrying that 1917 S vaudeville thing with her. And she's yeah. resenting the fact that this isn't coming back, which we will get into Gypsy as well. But it's kind of, um, yeah, because fashion and everything tends to come back around. Vaudeville doesn't. It's, no. it's, it's a relic. It's always, it's just never, unfortunately, going to come back. And you see that kind of pain and kind of thing on, Jane's face that she has to live in this society that doesn't even remember. I mean, they can watch Blanche's movies on television because movies are going to carry over into TV and now on streaming and everything else. The way she keeps saying, Oh, you must, might remember me. I'm, I'm baby Jane Hudson. And she looks like she's about to kill someone every single time she does. Like if you don't remember
1: me, I'm coming for you. (laughs) Yeah, it's like you don't. Know, it's not a question you want to answer truthfully. No, <laughs> you I mean, just you tell know, by the look on Baby Jane's face. Don't don't answer that truthfully. Don't no. say you don't know who she is because no. that's just a world of hurt. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, and I I think it's kind of what's cool about the meta aspects of this film, and and then what this story is, is. You have these two women who at earlier points in their life were, you know, the virginal, precious, darling baby doll Mm -hmm. or, you know, the glamorous starlet. Mm -hmm. And as they've aged, as the times have changed, they're they're. They're forgotten, you know, And so you have these these sisters living in this house, and no one comes to visit, and no one knows what goes on behind closed doors. Nobody's calling to check and see how they're doing. Like they've kind of faded away with mm. the times, you know, and it's it's, yeah, it's it's one of the. It's one of the things about this film that I think is is so heartbreaking mm. and and kind of relatable that you know when you you used to have it and now you don't have it and and it's that that's a fear that I think so many of us have that someday I'm not going to be able to hack it anymore. Yes, <laughs> and, what is, and then what? Yeah. Um, but you know because baby Jane is so extreme Mm. and their situation is so extreme. It's like it plays on this plays on all of these, these very common fears that everyone has, but it's dialed to 11 because they're show business people Mm. because they come from this really messed up family. And because their, their personas are just so over the top. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Um. Yeah. And so you see. Yeah. Because you're sitting in this super mess constantly, and it's a super mess. I love to live in because that house is so gothic and so creepy. Even yeah. though it looks like a California two story bungalow, and it, but when you get inside, it looks like it's from the ninth from the nineteenth century. Um. It's just all shadows. This is not a very modern house because they obviously probably can't afford to actually update this house. I mean, when you look in the neighbor's house, it's fully what a 1960s house is. You go into this one and it looks old. It looks creaky. There's secrets. There's mysteries. There's a whole bunch of tangled mess happening. And kind of what um, I love going back to the meta um, element of this is that each actor's kind of playing to their strength of what they were known for. Joan Crawford was the glamorous movie star because she was one of the most beautiful people in the 1930s. She still, actually to the point where she died, she was still one of the most beautiful people, except when she got her crazy eyes. But, um, <laughs> which I think was uh, <laughs> um going back to straight Jacket. Um, I think also, but she loved being the movie star. I mean, there's this whole thing that Betty Davis used to, Tease her or tell, spread rumours of the fact that she couldn't let like, go of her fake boobs. Um, mm. Because that's what a movie star had to look like. And she didn't want to be ugly down. She wanted to be still be glamorous, which I think suits her character. Because that's when she was in her prime. She was a beautiful movie star. And she is very beautiful until right at the end. Um, and even then, there's still this amazing martyrdom kind of thing about her. Even though what's happening to her is just horrific. Um, and... She's. I think she's in the psychological thriller. I think she's in the family drama, the psychological thriller. Where there's, Dave Davis always felt like the one who liked to act, and she's just sitting in this meanness, this resentment of what Jane is, baby Jane is, and she's just going for it. She wants to be in that white makeup. Apparently, she insisted on going to make me as old and ugly as you can possibly look. Well, um, according the makeup to makeup was
1: her idea. Yeah. yeah she came up with that 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 makeup look and it's perfect because it's so garish yes and it looks like stage makeup it does if If you were on a stage they can see you in the back row yeah you need
0: to have your face completely painted and she's always that and the more the movie goes on the more she kind of leans into it but she's in a horror movie and i think actually the way the two styles of the actors actually work really fit together because it's just about the personalities of these two women just biting heads and just what Davis does, uh, the, uh, Jane does to friggin' poor Blanche. I mean, feeding her bird and then rats oh. and then having that one meal in the me- middle that was okay um i think it's just yeah i think the two elements actually work really well so i think you can say yes and i think it is a psychological thriller but it is also a horror movie because you've got those two elements just butting heads constantly and it makes it more amazing for me at least (laughs) oh definitely
1: no definitely and and i and i think that you're you're spot on Mm. that yeah the blanche character does a really great job of of yeah selling us on the family the family drama of it all mm. and and leaning into that thriller stuff mm. you know because that at different points in the film blanche goes to kind of speak up she has something to say mm. to jane and and she, either jane shuts her down or she chickens out yeah you know and and so you can tell that there's this there's a mystery that that hasn't been revealed yet and you don't even know quite what the mystery is that first mm. time that you see this film yes and then yeah you've got baby jane who is i mean yeah it's some serious horror stuff mm. making her sister afraid to eat by killing her pet and killing a rodent to put on the tray and yes. just like the psychological terror of that being afraid to eat in your own house i mean that's next level yes. Extreme isolation pulling out the phone
0: oh my god she pulling does this. out the
1: buzzer yeah, yeah. Leaving her in the room tied up and gagged i yes. mean that's horror stuff you would see that in a horror movie
0: you would, I mean, it's misery. It's, um, but at the same time, the fact that Blanche is upstairs when she's in a wheelchair um, is kind of what struck me this time. I don't know why I didn't pay attention to it. But I'm like, Oh wait, she's on the second floor of a house yeah. that only has stairs. She can't get down. And when she, I mean, you again, goes back to the psychological thriller that Blanche is in when she wants to go downstairs. Cause she knows the phone is downstairs and it's kind of like, um, yeah, Blanche is not the best at communication. I mean, when she's calling the doctor near the end, she could have easily said, look, my sister's crazy. She's locking me up. You need to think. But she can't quite say the words because whatever persona she thinks she has, this is this does not happen to her. That does not happen to a movie star. That does not happen to how she sees herself happening, which I think is more fascinating. So, yeah, the more I watch this movie, the more I love Blanche and what Joan Crawford is doing because I think – it's so easy to concentrate on Betty Davis because she's literally most of the whole show. She's amazing. I mean, you can when she's singing that letters to Daddy song and when she's kind of seeing herself as this kind of beautiful young, childlike creature, it's terrifying because you're confronted with this um fifty year old woman, um, and it's who's not ten years old. And that is kind of. Oh no, she's losing it. She's she's lost it and she can't deal with any of her con- the consequences that are happening to her, what is happening, she's just retreating and in- into herself. And it is totally creepy and a totally amazing performance. But then you have Joan Crawford as Blanche on the other side, who is trying to do so much internally, but yet can't say anything. And I think it's almost not the harder performance, but I think she does, I think it's easy
1: to lose sight of what, what she's actually doing. No, absolutely. It's the Blanche character. There's more subtlety to it. It's, yes. a, it's a more subdued, it's a quieter character. Mm. And there is a lot that Joan Crawford is doing in her, in her facial expressions with her body language. Yes. With the inflection of her voice. But it is more subtle. And mm. it's definitely even more quiet when you put it next to Baby Jane with her cackling and her out of tune singing and her drunken <laughs> <laughs> yelling, you know? yes, but it it's it's just as noteworthy for sure because mm. you know, you need Blanche to in a film like this, we need to sympathize with her. Mm. And then we also, because there's a little bit of a mystery going on, we also need to kind of wonder what's up with like what's what's Blanche's full story? And there's yes. those little moments that you get that, you know, like those times, as I mentioned before, when she mm. when she wants to tell baby Jane something and and then in the last moment pulls back and doesn't. Mm. But there's other things like hitting that buzzer to call jane back to the room Mm. every time she hits it she hits it like 50 times she really does like
0: that's why i kind of think that this movie isn't necessarily about the evil sister preying on the good sister because when you find out especially when you know what the revelation is at the end which i guess this movie's from 1962 because it starts off with a car accident and you assume that um jane had tried to run over her sister it was not. It was uh, Blanche trying to run over Jane, but she, but Blanche got in the accident, is now in the wheelchair, and she kind of reveals this to a very just Lewis lost the plot, um, baby Jane, who just was just sits on the beach and goes, "Oh, so that's why my life is ruined." Okay, I'm just going to put my feet in the sand and hang out. <laughs> All right. Um, and so you get the feeling that living with Blanche probably wasn't the easiest thing to do, especially because of the fact that she needed Jane now. She tried to kill Jane, and now she's in a position where she actually now needs Jane to take care of her. And it's when you're watching it on that lens, it's fascinating. Like, she bangs that buzzer so many goddamn times. Um, You can tell that Jane's life has now been, now sort of descended down into just taking care of her sister and now living off her sister's money, which... I can kind of see that when you realize that development and then you take that first scene into account, you're like, oh, I can completely understand uh, Jane and what she's doing. And I feel just as heartbreaking for her as I do for Blanche, who's now in this situation of going, I may have created a monster and I don't know what to do about it um, kind of thing. So it's, that's what I kind of yeah. say. It's like, who bought the house? How much of gaslighting has been going on between these two women before you get into that house? It's, this kind of fascinating you don't you get just enough to know what's happening but at the same time you don't know the mechanics of it and it's so alluring when you're watching it because you're just watching these two amazing women go at it and
1: yeah it's it's absolutely amazing <laughs> yeah no and it's it's kind of like that that old saying that you know i I'm going to totally butcher this like you know the betrayal you know the, the thing about betrayals that it it can only come from the people that you love Yes. You know, and so it's, you know, family. Family can inflict pain on you like nobody else. No, it's absolutely right. Yeah. And, you know, and these two sisters hate each other. They love each other. They want to be rid of each other. They're completely dependent on each other. Yep. And and all through the movie, there's this tit for tat between the sisters. And And we're piecing together, you know, just how damaged, (laughs) (laughs) how damaged they are. Yeah. And and if, yeah, if you start trying to keep score, it's, it's, it's nuts. It's nuts because they, no one here is a, is a blameless victim. Now, definitely Jane is more dangerous. Like bodily harm. Like she's unstable. Yes but you know blanche blanche has done her share of things to wind up in the position that she's in they're oh. both kind of victims of this dynamic yes that just that's keeps, been created
0: yeah and it kind of keeps going um because there's at the beginning again there's this kind of they keep throwing dialogue at each other of oh you're not well no you're not well no you need help no you need to go to the doctor it's kind of this amazing thing of um, who's sicker, but they keep throwing it back at each other. It's like, oh, I'm fine. You're the one who's sick. No, no, I'm fine. You're the one that's sick. But they're very sick in very different ways. I mean, Blanche is obviously in a wheelchair, which comes with many, many different health problems, um, trying to cope with it. And then you have Jane, who's five different kinds of mental um, illness and delusion and probably a bit of narcissism and just everything else you're right she's the more dangerous one because she can cause way more bodily damage i think um than anyone else though watching it this time around her reaction to murdering is it alvira who was the mage yeah Mm -hmm. yeah her reaction to that was so interesting it was like a again because she keeps going back to reverting back to childhood and it's like this oh no what oh no what have i done oh this wasn't my fault um and just the way she's talking, because I was sort of trying to figure out if the childhood thing was an act at the beginning, but then she descends into it. I think there's a little bit of that. The way she gets, she can kind of fend people off is to go, oh, oh no, I'm just a little girl. You can't hurt me. Well, fully mm. knowing she's a grown woman who has agency. But as soon as she kills Alvira, it's kind of like this. She really reverts into being a child because she can't handle there's something about her she keeps asking blanche for help and Blanche just like i'm tied in a bed what do you want me to do <laughs> you're kind of lost completely she's like i need you to help me she's like what
1: i'm starving to death when yeah. well, you know and, and it's 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 that it's the continuation of that dynamic only now the stakes are life and death yes you know and yeah and like if you think back to uh, earlier in the film when we kind of we get the rundown on how Blanche's film career was going great but she had this writer in her contract that anyone hiring her needed to also do projects with Jane yeah uh, yes, and yeah you know and, and so you have this situation where these where these two sisters are so toxic for each other, but they're also so dependent. And it's like Jane doesn't know what to do without Blanche. No, she's she, yeah. And every she single time. She... Yeah. And every single time Blanche
0: makes moves to actually move remove herself from the situation, which I think she's trying to do by selling the house. I think she's actually just like mm-hmm. going, I can't stay in this house anymore. I can make some money off it. We probably need the money. Jane's just going to have to figure this out, but I don't want to tell her because I know what's going to happen, Um, which is not good. <laughs> this is what the movie shows. Um, But yeah, I don't, but Jane is just like, I, I don't know how to cope without you. I don't know how to live my life. If I can't have, if you aren't telling me what to do almost it's, but at the same time, Jane's trying to break away from Blanche by almost replacing her. Like, oh, I'm going to go, I can, I know how to do your signature. I can do your voice. I can kind of be you to keep my lifestyle going. But when she does take her out of the equation, she's like, I messed up big time and just killed the person. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, now I don't know what to do.
0: No, I don't know what to do. And I'm in a lot of trouble. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, again, you just, the relationship is so well done and these two are just the best most pro thing you could ever be at this acting thing so they just know how to kind of can yes they're doing very different styles they have very very different styles of acting but at the same time they know how to work with one another they are just go in they know their lines they know how to, they again they know where to hit their mark um because that's the studio system taught them that you do not even though they were both considered divas they are not divas in the sense of when they actually show up to go to work Except when they thought the writing was bad, which is fair enough. Um, But, um sorry, I've read a whole biography on Betty Davis and she's my hero. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so I think you get that sense in all through this. Um So that's why this movie works. It's because these two women know exactly where to put themselves, how to show themselves, how to act, what style of acting they need to do, and it just goes on from there. And this movie is, like, almost two hours, but it moves. I remember... Look, like, are we already here at Elvira's? Oh my god, I feel like we're going to be
1: watching this for thirty minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. It's the pace, uh, just yeah, and and you know, and I and it's a credit to the writing. Mm. It's a credit to their their performances. You know that you have a film that seventy five percent of it takes place in two rooms. Yes, but because of the way this is written and because of this amazing cast, it's like the time flies and it's, it's like, you're on the edge of your seat to see like, okay, how does Blanche get out of this? What is baby Jane going to do next? And, you know, it just keeps you, it keeps the momentum going.
0: It really, really does. This movie does not stop at all. It is just, um, yeah, it just keeps moving and moving. And it is a testament to how this movie is edited, how the fact that, I mean, yeah, it is just literally, these two women have these very kind of very specific interactions in two rooms. You do leave the house when you're with Victor Bruno, I can't pronounce his name. Um, that very sad man. Edwin Flagg. Edwin Edwin, Edwin Flagg. Oh my God. His relationship with, um, uh, with Jane is, Incredible and how Jane just kind of just goes, Oh, I have a new daddy, is that's how she literally sees him, which is terrifying. Um you do leave though that, that a little bit. I mean, I know the the uh, movie didn't have enough money, so um Betty did her own driving when they she's in the car. Um again, just a pro. <laughs> I mean, she just knew that I mean when Betty Davis liked a script, she would do it a hundred this movie a hundred percent if she kind of knew that the director trusted her a little, she would just go, okay, just tell me where to stand. I'll say the lines. I love it. It's great. It's when she kind of got told too, she kind of got directed too much and she hated the script. If the, the studio was forcing her into a movie, that's when she'd get all, oh, I don't think so. Um, but you can tell she, it's just, I mean, the script is so freaking fantastic. It's very simple. It's not flowery at all, but it's just to the point. And these Two actors are just eating it like it's a friggin' spare rib. It's amazing.
1: <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. No, it's, it's tremendous. Yeah. It's, and, and I think we, we kind of touched on earlier that this is a movie that I think repeat viewings, you continue. Yeah. To dig a little deeper and get a little more out of it. And it's so rewatchable
0: oh it's so rewatchable it and it's more about the dynamic between the ever all the actors it's not necessarily um anything fancy but the camera moves or anything like that it is that you're not noticing they're not there's no mcguffins or there's no well there is kind of MacGuffin of the, the car accident but there's no kind of um big kind of thing it's just how these two women relate to each other and how they keep circling this toxic kind of pattern with each other and it just gets bigger and bigger. And that's why it's so rewatchable. But at the same time, you're just watching all these little nuances and how they're kind of treating each other. Like the first time I saw it, I'm like, oh, it is absolutely about the um, younger sister torturing the older sister. But I'm like watching it next to me. Every time I watch it, I'm like, really? Butch, I think you got some like uh, some stuff going on. There's some passive-aggressive that's torturing going yes. on.
1: <laughs> it's more complicated than that. I mean, It is way more, def- yeah. Definitely. If I see Baby Jane coming, I am running for my life yes <laughs> but yes between these two sisters there's more to it oh absolutely and that's what makes there's it more right. to it. yes um
0: it, absolutely and it's also the going to another topic there's an amazing kind of bridge between the old studio pros um and kind of going into the 60s where you have no haze code it's a bit which we'll get into again with gypsy it's kind mm. of this amazing kind of independent filmmaking that was really starting to bubble up. But you have like Joan Crawford and Betty Davis and Robert Eldridge, who kind of knew how to make a movie very, very quickly and very kind of efficiently. Cause they, cause Warner brothers or MGM was telling them how to do it. It's kind of, yeah, it's just this kind of amazing mix. And that's kind of, as I was saying um, before we started recording, I was looking cause that both these movies are from 1962. So I was just kind of looking at kind of what, Movies were being made, and you definitely see that bridge between studio and that kind of more gritty independent. Like, th- Elvis released like three movies in 1962, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, yeah Dr. No, uh, James Bond started. Um, you have like Doris Day comedies, you have, um, Anthony Perkins thrillers, because it's you know, Psycho it happened. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird mm-hmm. and Kate Fair come out this. They came out the same year. Jesus Christ! Um, you have <laughs> Lil, you have Lolita, uh, Stanley Kubrick's Lolita, which is one of the most transgressive, dodgy movies ever made. Um, you really do have a whole bunch of you know, you're still Bob Hope and Crosby making movies. It's kind of this really weird mash of like the old and the new. And I think both, this this is why I love this double, because it's kind of the representation of both kind of tastes. But, um, yeah, Baby Jane is just like, it feels like almost guerrilla filmmaking in a way, because they just, like, they look like they just found this house and went, right, we're going to go make a movie um, with nothing. Um, but at the same time, you have this professional polish because it is two of the biggest movie stars from the 1940s in it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and and Aldrich, you know. And director, Aldrich. I forget- I, I forget about him you do but he was dude, crazy yeah because he made so many movies that i love you so really do yeah he's i don't kind know of, why he doesn't come to mind more often but he should
0: no, he should because he's kind of one of those great sneaky filmmakers that um that i'm forgetting his main nor that i absolutely love of his um kiss me deadly kiss me deadly is one of the great freaking Nora's because I'm like, how did you get away with making that? That is so dirty and so frightening. And
1: so, yeah, Yeah. well, he made Sodom and Gomorrah, yes, which Um, I grew up with. And I mean, he (laughs) made the Dirty Dozen, which
0: is something I finally watched around. And that is an amazingly tough guy, cool movie that is actually really gritty. Um, I it's Vera Cruz, I mean the man was insanely prolific and made some of the kind of quietly great movies of the forties and fifties. Um, and it's yeah. And without him, I don't think this movie would have been as sharp because I think all three of these guys wanted to get back in the game. they all the careers were kind of in a slump. They weren't getting the roles. Um, I mean, all about Eve had been 1950. So that would have been 12 years previous, which was technically another comeback for Betty Davis. Um, Mm -hmm. speaking of amazing, amazing movies. Um, it's kind of, yeah, so they were trying to just do something and the studios weren't going to give them much money. So they kind of had to make this almost on the flying movie, but they got a really good script. Everyone kind of knew what they were doing. And yeah, Robert Aldridge directs the hell out of this movie. I think he is kind of the, which I think that TV show had him pretty center. So it was the three of them. Um, Yeah. Dude. um,
1: Cinematographer, Ernest Holler. Oh shit. Did he do this? Yes. <laughs> yes, I mean this is this is a guy that worked on *Gone with the Wind*. Mildred Pierce, *Rebel yes. Without a Cause*. Like, yeah. there's some real powerhouses in here.
0: There really, really are. um It's I love the fact that this movie was nominated for so many Oscars because it doesn't even in the '60s it doesn't feel like a movie that would have gotten nominated for Oscars. I mean, yes, it's the whole trope of oh, they never in horror. I mean, this movie is sleazy <laughs> and grimy and dark and dark and everyone looked at biddy davis and went that is an amazing performance well well done um and yeah, cuz it kind of is i mean it's yeah this um it've got best sound mixing which is absolutely which it got nominated for best sound mixing best supporting actor um which might have been for victor um and it's just yeah it's one of those movies that probably It feels like, yeah, it feels like a grindhouse movie, but made by absolute um, amazing professionals who knew how to do their job too well. Um, But then you get this masterpiece of the macabre and amazing. I mean, I keep going to that scene, but that scene when Jane singing letters to daddy as an older woman is one of the most terrifying things ever, because it's, she's starting to lose it. She's starting to believe this fantasy. I, I can bring my act back. And it's like, No, you cannot. There is no way that this is
1: happening. And the look—yeah, no—it's—it's done. Vaudeville's dead. Vaudeville's dead. It never comes back. It's over. Yeah, it's over. (laughs) Well, and two, like, you know, at one point when she's she's singing in the mirror, and then she moves under the lamp. Oh, and the bright light hits her face. Mm. And anyone over the age of (laughs) twenty knows under a certain light, you know, you They're see looking. all the, all the little lines and all the little things, It, you know, it, it, it it's, it's harsh. It it's is harsh. <laughs> and it is a bathroom and- I have to use at work
0: that I hate looking in the mirror because it is such a harsh light that I look at myself and I look like I'm baby
1: Jane. <laughs> I'm like, I need to, I need to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a real thing. And so, of course, like, when when Baby Jane, like, she snaps out of it for a second, mm. when she finally, like, sees herself under that light and she just mm. starts screaming. Yes. Because the illusion, the delusion, mm. both, have are broken. Yes. And she, just for a moment, sees herself as she really is. Mm. This, you know, this aging woman who's dressed up like a baby doll and it's it's horrifying
0: it's absolutely it's bad news. yeah it's bad news and um i mean yeah it sort of goes back to say go back to 1950 with um another great the other great movie oh there's so many great movies of 1950 but the other great movie of 1950 sunset boulevard um, oh, i love it I love it. And just the way she, again, lives in her old house, this complete delusion, and everyone she surrounds herself with. Though I don't think Baby Jane has the um, wealth or the privilege or thing of, of uh, Sunset Boulevard to actually be able to surround herself with people who bring who keep this delusion going. She finds someone who's willing to do it, and she jumps on him so fast that it's kind of like, oh, someone who remembers me, someone who... Um, likes what I do, who's going to be, help me go back and win my act. It's, um, it's kind of incredible. And I think just, yeah, just the way this movie tracks her kind of retreat into her delusion where she just refuses to see herself. She refuses to sort of acknowledge what's happening because she can't admit, oh, she can't kind of accept that she's killed someone. She can't accept that she's in her fifties. She can't accept that Vauble's not coming back. She can't, um, she can't do any of this. And she just, goes back to being a 10 year old when she's on the beach and all she wants is ice cream and Uh, and spinning and spinning that's I forgot I always forgot I always think it ends with her lying on top of um Blanche it's not she has an audience and she's and she's spinning around with these ice creams melting down her hand like she's 10 years old again and poor Blanche I assume is dying on the beach um yes (laughs) it's, it's 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 Kind of an incredibly dark moment, and it does remind me of Sunset Boulevard, but it's not glamorous, it's taking all that away. It's kind of like, um, you know, because I'm ready for my close up, it's not none of that. She's not going to be this true crime kind of on the front page for the next four weeks, kind of thing like in Sunset, it's going to be oh, yeah, a note down at the bottom of the page six. It's and she's just on the beach. Yeah, I, it's such an indelible image. I think it's an amazingly sad, brutal and creepy way to end the movie.
1: It's so good. You know, and and it's in contrast to Sunset Boulevard, which takes place in the gothic mansion, yes, with you know, the the lights for the cameras. Mm. And you know, a wonderful costume and all of the onlookers and there's you know they they're playing into the delusion yes no one does here yeah it's just it's like babe, yeah baby <laughs> jane is 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 dancing on the beach like she used to do with daddy yeah nobody is playing along no people are just kind of standing around gobsmacked and it's it's a sunny california day so again, the harsh light of day, yes, and everyone on this beach sees her for what she is,
0: yeah, it really, really is. Um, she's kind of a low rent norma Desmond in that respect of the delusion. But she can kind of imagine herself being on the stage when she's not, but because people are looking at her horrified, she's taking that as, oh, I have an audience. finally, I, I have finally have an audience again. Um, but it's done in this really simple childlike way. And then of course all the police are going over to Paul Blanche who i have assumed to start to death on the beach. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> just like, can you get me a doctor, please? <laughs> please. And she's just like, We'll we'll build sandcastles on the beach. And I'm just like going, Oh, this is just gone. <laughs> <laughs> this is
1: just <laughs> sometimes some some viewings, it's I I think about it more than others. Yeah. And and in rewatching the movie to prepare for our discussion, it, I thought about it again. About, I mean, she she didn't eat for days.
0: Yeah, you only see her really eat those little cupcake chocolate things when she sneaks yeah. into Jane's room. Yeah, that's a
1: really bad way to go. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> you took <like>, do- <laughs> no food, no water. Like that's that's like a really, really unpleasant way to die
0: yeah i really kind of nailed home on that because sometimes yeah you you because you, there's so much to concentrate on you don't always concentrate on that fact but when you're actually watching it i'm like this movie is obviously taking place over about a week maybe two like you can kind of see the passage of different time with jane going on different errands and and things like that and then you realize she's not eating i, I don't i think yeah. when you see her eat those are the only when you see food in the room that's the only time that she's actually eating Everything else, she's just not, she's literally just starving to death. And it's just like, yikes, that is a horrible way to go. (laughs) It's brutal.
1: It's brutal for sure.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of what I love about this movie. It is really brutal. And I don't think they could have gotten away with this even through two years, even in 19, say, well, they actually made The Apartment, but it was Billy Wilder who seemed to get away with things other filmmakers couldn't. But um, even the late 50s, I don't think you could have gotten away with that kind of storytelling even though it's not particularly hammered home that she's actually this is what's actually happening to Blanche you still get the sense I mean they still tell you exactly when okay she's got this meal coming up she's got that meal coming up um Jane's sending away the maid so she doesn't mm-hmm. have a support network who's going to probably make sure she eats um because Jane's going her own different delusional path and feeding poor Blanche isn't taking care of her isn't one of them um I mean she's tied she's literally tied to the bed kind of half sitting up with her arms above her head and uh, gagged. And this is not a woman who's going to be able to go to the bathroom. This is not a woman who's able to do anything, just kind of yeah. there. And yeah. So by the end when she's just like begging her sister to go get a doctor when <laughs> Jane is just not even there anymore. She's just gone. Is such a, I'm kind of laughing while I'm saying this, but it's, it's heartbreaking. It's just so sad. Cause you just realize that Jane is just, not even there she's she's gone somewhere else it's such a heartbreaking yeah you realize it's whatever's happened it's done it's there's no going back
1: no absolutely and i you know one of the characters that i just absolutely love in this is elvira yes the the housekeeper Hmm. because she she's really a stand-in for for us as the audience yeah she sniffs out baby Jane real early on. Oh yeah. <laughs> and is and is trying to tell Blanche like, hey, no, I'm concerned. <laughs> like,
0: she's opening your letters. like She blatantly it's, says she says she knows the, you're selling the house. She's like, no, I don't. Like, uh, yeah, she um she's been opening your letters. Um <laughs> she knows exactly what's happening. Writing profanity on them. Yes.
1: yeah you know it's and so and Elvira has the presence of mind to go back to the house when Jane sends her away yes because she you know she's suspicious she has a bad feeling that something's going on in this house Mm. and that you know Blanche needs help Mm. um you know and so I love that character I think it's it's one of those moments that to this to this day I still kind of sometimes especially if i'm watching it by myself i kind of <laughs> want to yell at the tv like turn around turn around baby jane's behind you because it's it's elvira is so good and and i want her every time i want her to come through every time and, i yeah. want her to escape that house but i don't think even elvira didn't realize how far gone jane was
0: and the more delusional Jane gets, the better she is at sneaking up on people. There's this oh, way yeah. that she's constantly walking into a room and someone <laughs> doesn't know she's there and they turn around. And they're like, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> and she's just standing there in the little baby doll dress going, hello. Um, oh. She's amazing like doing that. It happens constantly. But it's still frightening because every single time she does it, she's a little bit more deteriorated, a little bit more delusional, a little bit more kind of... In her own head. And you just know that nothing good is going to come of, come of this. She's kind of got this house under her control. But everything's coming apart at the same time. Because she doesn't necessarily have a plan. This is not a... Um, yeah, I love the fact that she has no plan. She's just d- reacting to things that come her way. Um, but she doesn't actually know what the next thing's going to be. So when, say, she kills, murders Elvira, it's this kind of... Oh no, I oh that was bad i shouldn't maybe have done that now i'm in real trouble it's like yes yes mm-hmm. you are uh, you murdered a person um and it's just this kind of yeah i love the fact that she has no plan she's just reacting and now because the fact she doesn't have her old support network that she used to even how toxic
1: it was everything's yeah. coming up so it's it's kind of brilliant in that way no absolutely it's the isolation Of these two women is, I mean, it's, it, it's the catalyst for so much of this. Yes. For the way that the story unfolds and for how badly everything goes off the rails.
0: Oh, so quickly when one thing just kind of goes off
1: the sort of usual kind of
0: routine it just starts falling apart so quickly. And it's when Jane realizes that Blanche wants to sell the house. And she's like, well, no, daddy bought this house. It was my money. And she's like, no, it wasn't, which you're right. I think Blanche probably did have the deed. The deed was in her name, but she would never have gotten there if it wasn't for, so they're both right in that respect.
1: But she's like, yeah, no, we're, we're dying in this house. And just like, please, no. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, it's, And even that argument between the two is, you know, (laughs) you know, what would Jane do with the house? Exactly. Just her in it, you know, but Jane doesn't see it that way. Jane, Jane lacks that, that clarity and that self-awareness. She lacks an understanding of her own limitations. Yes. Like, you know, what would she do with that house if they kept it? Yeah. How would she pay the the property taxes? How would she pay the utilities? Like, and know, I'm, yeah,
0: I'm guessing in California it's always been more expensive than anywhere
1: else. For, I, that's probably true. <laughs> it's 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 no picnic paying the bills around here. I can tell. Yeah.
0: You.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, you're
0: right. I yeah, that goes back to I just don't think she has a game plan. Yeah, she doesn't want to sell the house because she's attached to this kind of memory she has. But at the same time, it's like, what would you? Do with this exactly. I don't. Yeah. What What's your next move on this? If you yeah. can't afford to do anything with it, then what's the point in keeping it? Um. I mean, yeah. vaudeville's dead. Blanche doesn't have a career anymore. They're playing it on TV. I'm guessing that doesn't pay huge amounts of royalties back in the the '60s, uh, especially because they were probably buying those movies cheap for just to have them on TV. This is me projecting, but it's kind of yeah. It's it's just this kind of. I love how this double really goes into the economics of being not doing well in entertainment, which is kind of fascinating. And I don't think you get enough of those those movies because it's always about the star is born. You make it big, then you fall. But what actually happens when you're kind of living on a memory or you're just struggling yeah. just to get to the next act? And it's it's kind of amazing. Um and yes, the the, the the 1950s, it's always women who are in this kind of position because that's just the, the unfortunately the world, but you do get these amazing kind of portraits of these kind of, st- okay, so how do you make a living when you are, uh, been lived a certain lifestyle and you only knew how to do one thing? It's kind of yeah incredible. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And I think baby Jane really kind of captures that kind of thing and Blanche knows it has to have to sell the house, they have to sell the house, but it's, yeah. I just love Jane's reaction to this. No, no, just, just no.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and Jane can't, and this again is, you know, the, the show business of it all that, you know, being past your prime or, mm-hmm. or never quite making it mm-hmm. and, and, Or losing it, having had it and lost it. Mm. And then you have the added dimension of, as women, that there's all this pressure to present a certain way. Yes. For the audience to please the studio, to get work. Mm. And if you no longer embody those those roles mm. that they want to put you in yeah like what do you now what do you do mm. Ex- exactly <laughs> it's... you know and, and through no fault of your own i mean what are your options you either get older or you die like we, no one gets younger so no no one gets younger at all and it goes into the
0: exploitation of this with baby jane and all the movies that came yeah. afterward. and i'm not saying that's it well i love those movies so it's kind of oh, yeah because you do get into that sort of full sort of psychology and yeah, Blanche is going to be forever the movie star. So she is still going to present herself like a movie star, even though she's not because they just circumstances just didn't happen. And I love how baby Jane just kind of settles into the griminess of it. She's just like, I love the fact that she didn't look like a movie star. If both of them were too pretty, I think it would have lost something. But the fact that Betty Davis is like, yeah, paint me in white makeup, give me a terrible wig. Um uh, make my eye make sure you can see my eyes and all the every single wrinkle around my eyes I want I want it all like give me that harsh light um I want to sort of show the decay of this character um because again it's, intense. it's, it's intense. intense I mean she work. looks way older than she actually looked at that stage. I mean this is a woman who's yeah. making movies in like the late 80s. Um, I love the fact that they all worked until yeah yeah I mean she was still working and still kind of Betty Davis but she just really realized oh if I'm gonna do this I need to look like Pennywise.
1: <laughs> no totally yeah yeah she, she totally plays into the horror yeah you know of 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 losing it of drinking yourself and and living this just really like debased life and it's like the picture of dorian gray on her face it really (laughs) is
0: it's kind of like body horror in almost a way um because you kind of see her just i guess the sort of term is she let herself go but i don't think she did i think she's kind of just turning into this monster you're right it is the portrait of dorian gray that's on her face every single sin every single transgression every single kind of thing drinking her kind of denial um the fact that she obviously doesn't go outside that much um is just all in her face and it's amazing and it just makes up the whole picture and you're watching her and you are truly terrified of her because especially when she's constantly creeping behind people and you're just like yelling look around if you looked around two seconds more you might have lived through this um but you didn't because she's obviously very sneaky and terrifying um it's and you can tell that she's enjoying herself doing it. This is not like, and oh uh, no, god, I mean, watching Betty Davis when she's enjoying herself on screen is just this extra added delight because she's usually doing something she shouldn't be doing. And it's yeah, it's just these two work perfectly together. I mean, whether how much they actually did hate each other is probably up to much debate, but they work so well together and they have this amazing chemistry on screen. It could be the editing, it could be the direction, it could be just the script. But they work really well together. Just the just the way they spit at each other is amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. It's and this happens sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where where you find out that backstage, you know, two actors didn't get along, but you know, sometimes you get lucky and and that works for you, or they're yeah. able to perform beyond that. Yes. And. I think in the case of whatever happened to baby Jane you have these these two characters that have to that have to be somewhat antagonistic to each other that have to go there. Mm. And so the fact that there may have been animosity or rivalry or you know a fierce competitiveness behind the scenes it only it could only help. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, my favorite petty story that about it is that uh, Betty Davis instilled Coke machines all over the set. Um, yeah. Because Joan Crawford was like the, um, I don't know if she was the CEO, but she was like the main face of Pepsi at the time or something. She to was married.
1: She was married to married. To yeah. a Pepsi.
0: Yeah. 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 And so she's just like, oh, we're drinking Coke here. And it's just like, oh, God, you were such a wonderful just that is such a mean awful (laughs) petty move yet it is freaking hilarious (laughs) it is it is because you just know joan's gonna go i hate you i hate you so much (laughs) um but yeah it's just everything about this movie just works and i keep forgetting that it's two hours like i looked at the runtime. this movie's two hours no and then i went oh no because it moves so freaking quickly um absolutely yeah you're just like oh we're here already we're at the point where they're going where everything's really starting to fall apart and I went I yeah this moves so freaking quickly I love this movie so much thank you for saying yes to <laughs> so I got to watch it again <laughs> oh
1: it was my pleasure yeah anything I else do you I, I try to I try to watch it you know once a year once every yeah. couple of years and I I I was kind of, I hadn't done my watch for this year, so mm-hmm. your timing was perfect. Oh, excellent. Because <laughs> I, was, I was ready. I, I kind of had I had the itch. Yeah. I wanted so, to yeah. watch Baby Jane again, and, and so this was like the perfect opportunity. <laughs> no, it, thank,
0: yes. Oh, thank you, and I'm kind of glad, because I sort of said, I think I would like to talk about Baby Jane with you, and you're like, yes. I'm like, oh, good. I think that she does like that movie. <laughs> I love it. I love it's it. It's so, so great. I mean, it's just, it's just wondrous to watch. It's so macabre. It's so dark. It's so vicious, but yet it's, there's so much joy to it. And it's kind of a, yeah, there's it's lots of joy in this movie, though nothing joyful happens on screen.
1: Yes. A hundred percent. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> anything you want to
1: say before we go into maybe one of the biggest surprises for me in a couple of <laughs> years, that is Gypsy. No, nothing else for me. Cause I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on Gypsy
0: oh oh my gosh okay um so we're gonna get into gypsy from same year um starring another classic screen idol i love
1: what would your first trailer be for gypsy so it's a fun one mm. <laughs> this is a uh, strip rama from 1953
2: the most beautiful tantalizing titillating shapely lineup of strip stars ever seen in one show before including the national pinup queen, Betty Page. And the breathtaking Venus Beauties, everyone a contest winner. You'll see them all, and we mean all of them. Most lush, lavish, and costly color burlesque production that ever hit the screen.
0: I have heard of this, but I have never seen it.
1: So strip rama is feature length, but this is not a narrative film. It's basically like a burlesque variety show <laughs> and they recorded it. So yeah. it's, it's big, big names in burlesque. Yeah. Strip performers on the screen doing their routines. Yes. And then, and then they'll throw in a comic. To do like a little similar to vaudeville, to do a little comedic relief, and then they get back to the stripping. Yeah, I love uh, how uh, <laughs> Burlesque comics. That this is my favorite part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've probably heard of Rama mm. because it is one of a couple of films that features Betty Page. Oh, this is probably where yes, Betty Page is in it. Yes. Um, so is Lily Saint Cyr, Georgia Southern it's, it's really fun. It's the kind of thing you can like put on in the background at a party Mm. Uh, because a lot of it is just music and women dancing in, in bathing suits or lingerie. I mean, that's basically what it is. Yeah. Um, I, I actually have this on VHS. I picked up stripper Rama and teaser Rama Mm. from 1955 back in the day from something weird video like oh, through their amazing. mail order. Yeah. <laughs> I still have them on VHS, but I figure I did check. You can track down the trailer. And I think it gives you a sense for what burlesque was. Back. Uh, in the
0: day. Yes. Cause it was very specific. Cause I keep saying it's stripping though. It is very not what we would, it's not show girls. It's not um no. the blue guana kind of movie of going back to the movies. Sort of it was right. a very specific art form that was more feather dancing, acrobatics. It was like, yeah, it was what essentially vaudeville turned into as we'll get into to Gypsy. Um, it's, it's a very specific kind of gorgeous, gorgeous thing. So, yeah, that is absolutely perfect. Um, I went and saw Last Night in Soho, which has nothing to do with this, but one of the trailers that they showed for it, because it was a special um, uh, British Film Festival presentation, is they showed this thing called Primal London, which is kind of like a mondo thing of what was happening like oh look how mm. weird London is in the 1960s and it had a lot of that kind of burlesque cabaret kind of stuff sort of happening right like look at this weird thing called rock and roll it's like guys London it's 1962 <laughs> like the Beatles are about to explode you know what this is um stop saying it's weird um but yeah it's that very similar kind of thing and this sounds like stripperama that you're essentially seeing this kind of capsule time capsule almost of a very specific yeah. time and place
1: absolutely that's exactly what it is it's like oh. for viewing it now it yeah. is it's like a time capsule like this I mean at the time this was risque yes mm. you know it's not I mean it's not hardcore mm. but it's you know for that time you know for someone to go to a movie theater and watch this it's you know it's it, it would have been titillating and yes. today it seems very kind of quaint it, yes, especially it, the first time I saw fun. Natalie Wood do her act in this movie
0: I was like, oh, that's it <laughs> 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 Oh, okay, that's, okay, I get it. It's burlesque, it's burlesque in the 60s It's not what, she's not exactly um, Showgirls writing on stage on a pole <laughs> <But> <laughs> Right It's very, very, it's a very different art form Than stripping, even though they constantly call it Stripping, it's a very, it's much more nuanced It's different, it's a very specific different art form um, so that I cannot wait to actually find that trailer and watch it because this sounds absolutely amazing, especially Betty Page in it would be oh, amazing. I'm gonna go for something very, very different, Um, but I am changing the tone, um, but I'm gonna go for Waiting for Guffman, uh, 1996, Christopher Guest.
2: I took the whole history of the town and I squeezed it like a piece of fresh bread. I think the uh, one really important thing that I learned in working with quirky is that I do indeed have talent. My boobie made a kishka, she made it big and fat. My zeta took one look at it and said, I can't eat that. I have found here in Blaine a gold mine of talent. (coughs) I think Johnny would be so perfect, don't you? He could be the next Keanu Reeves.
0: This is... I haven't seen this forever. I was gonna meant to re- re- re-watch some of it, but I didn't get a chance. But it's essentially a community theatre that thinks they're about to hit the big time with almost, uh, I think he's a movie producer or a theatre producer or something, who's going to come and look at their show. And it's them just getting very, very excited about the fact that they might start hitting the big time. Um, and it's got all of Christopher Guest's kind of usual actors he used to work with. I, I love them all. And it's really, really funny. And just this kind of very quirky kind of little bit that I think it would be kind of cute to show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I saw that once. Because I kind of I kind of half remember, but it was a really long time ago. It, me too. Um, I
0: usually, every time I go back, I always watch Best in Show. Um, because that's kind of my favorite of his. But yeah. uh, Waiting for Guffman is, I still have sort of memories of um, this sort of movie. And everyone's sort of sitting around the stage going... Oh, wouldn't it be nice if it, you know, we, you know, got, ha- you, d- got discovered and, and um, cause it's got like Parker Posey, Fred Willard, the great, Kathy right. Rivera, yeah. thinks she's going to win an Oscar out of this for some reason. It's, it's got kind of those, all those actors that you just like love being around and you just, it's kind of, it's a lot quieter. It's definitely doesn't have any of the musical kind of thing that we're going to get all the brash, bas- brashness we're going to get in with Gypsy, but it's just that kind of when you're waiting for something to happen, that's never going to happen. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Mm. There's a lot of that in this movie.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> As we said in uh, in uh, uh, Baby Jane, Vaudeville ain't coming back. <laughs> no, it's dead. Dead,
1: it's dead. dead, dead, dead. Dead, dead, dead. Um, what would your <laughs> second trailer be? So, I... This pr- is going to seem like left field, but mm. just roll with me. Yeah. My second trailer is for the 1982 film, Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains.
2: Corinne Burns, what are you going to do? My name is not Corinne Burns. Oh, what is it? It's Third Degree Burns. I'm the lead singer and manager for The Stains. It has become clear to several thousand very young women inspired by an unrecorded rock and roll band with see-through blouses and white stripes in their hair that life is to be lived right now.
1: Oh, I love
0: that movie. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Directed by Lou Adler, starring yep. a young Diane Lane and Laura Dern. Yes. I this this came to mind because something that gets brought up quite a bit in gypsy is that is that louise has no talent and then she finds burlesque and the mm. burlesque performers talk about that you don't need talent you, you need a gimmick to be a yeah, right mm. to be a burlesque dancer and it made me think of punk punk rock when punk rock first came out this whole idea of like you could have a band and you didn't know have to know how to play instruments yeah Yes, you, you know people would often say that you didn't have to have talent to start a punk band mm. and I was also thinking about how in the fabulous stains, you know these young teenage girls go up on the stage and they're they're trying to play their music and they're, they're you know they're trying to be shocking because punk rock was shocking at yes the time. Yep. and of course it kind of it turns into this kind of sexual thing Mm. like the way that they're dressed and then and the way that they're perceived Mm. and so it got me I was thinking the trailer for that could work pretty well in front of Gypsy even though very different musically very different time period very different characters it it touches on some of the same things I
0: I, yeah I didn't think of that but I think you're right because Punk, even though I think some of the great punk bands had a lot of talent, but I think oh, the notion yeah. um that you could just create a punk band, give them a few instruments they didn't know. Name. It wasn't about being on on tone, it wasn't about knowing more than three chords, it wasn't knowing, it was just about the violence, the passion, the what you could do on stage. And you're right, it does get very sort of sexual because you're sort of realizing how young younger Dern and um in this. <laughs> and then you sort of realize, <laughs> oh they they very young but at the same time that's kind of what the scene was it was these kids who were look at me i'm creating something out of nothing but it was very rough it was very ready it was really amazing um it's you just needed the kind of the look the the tone and the and the loudness and punk was kind of born and that's why we love it
1: (laughs) no definitely
0: um Okay, so since you're playing The Fabulous Stains, I'm going to go a lot more musical-based. Well, yeah, okay, fine. It's a basic pick, but I do love this movie. Probably is I rewatched it, thought I didn't like it, rewatched it, realized I was wrong. It's an amazing movie. Mm. It is another Sondheim musical, of course. That is West Side Story. All right, now come
2: on, shoot it, man, shoot it. The streets go play the park, keep over the grass, get out of the house, keep off the
0: block, get out of here. The that on the is yes, um, I could have gone for a few different other things, but if you want to. Because Gypsy is, uh, the the lyrics were written at least by Sondheim, Mm -hmm. um, who I've been getting into a lot lately. Um, There's something about his very up and down complex, um, how do they breathe while they sing this kind of music. And West Side Story is kind of the peak of that. I mean, just the, the same dancing, the kind of, I mean, even Natalie Wood had to be dubbed where she sang because there's no way she's going to be able to get all these notes. And I think it's just, it's a vibrant, beautiful trailer because it's friggin' West Side Story.
1: Um, and yeah, that is my trailer. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I've been meaning to revisit West Side Story. I think when I first saw it, I, I was being kind of an asshole about it. Th- that was me. <laughs> yeah. Because there were so many people that like, oh, West Side Story is the greatest musical. Mm. And so I had, I was a teenager. And so I had to be contrary and say, whatever, it's not the best. Yeah. Because- <laughs> that was, that was me. That was and me. <laughs> so I haven't revisited it in easily 25 years. It's time.
0: It, yeah, I think when I first saw it, I went, "Oh, it's just Romeo and Juliet, and Nellie Wood can't even sing." And I was just being very snarky about it. And you know,
1: it, it, it's get it's teenagers and gangs clicking their fingers. Um, I do, I do, I have always liked that part. Yeah, that, will yeah, yeah. I tried. It to, got yeah. me with this, yeah. the
0: the dance fighting. Yeah, dance fighting when you watch it is amazing, and then you kind of realize <laughs> everything that's sort of happening around it and how amazing this is. I mean, yes. There's a reason why this movie won all the Oscars. But it's kind of – it feels almost experimental for a typical musical. And I think yeah, from what I've been reading, listening more to uh, Stephen Sondheim musicals and also reading about it, that was kind of his thing. He would kind of take these things that people weren't expecting that you would talking about in a musical in, say, the 50s and 60s, like Gypsy, like um, – the, the sort of the racial elements of West Side Story, even though most everyone was in brownface, um, and all these kind of other things, and then kind of present them in this very highfalutin Broadway way. Um, and that is Gypsy as well, probably even more so than West Side Story. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I fell head over heels for Gypsy in like the first five minutes and just...
2: Let me... Natalie Woods got the entertainment that really entertains this is the big bouncy one about the darling of the runways who made herself a reputation who became the toast of international society rollicking road to fame of the girl who got away with it. the fabulous Gypsy Rose Lee Gypsy starring Rosalind Russell Natalie Wood Carl Malden and the wildest bunch of characters in or out of show business Jolly Uncle Jocko, a top banana on the skins. Kringleine the indignant. Carolyn the dancing cow. The high mogul with low intentions. The Hollywood blondes. And the most mama any girl ever had. This time I'm going to make you a star, baby. You'll be
0: swell. You'll be great. I'll... I love to hear that it's as soon as Rosalind Russell comes on stage and starts pulling her hat pin out and like orchestrating the music and the dancing, I was just like, oh, I am on board for anything that happens in this movie. I mean, this is a two and a half hour movie. It feels like it, not in a bad way. I just think that's how musicals tend to move because there's the up and down. Yeah. It, yeah, it's just how they work. But I loved every single minute of this movie. It um, may a lot had to do with with um, Rosalind Russell. And, um, but everything about this movie is amazing. Um, when did you first see this movie? Cause this was my first watch.
1: <laughs> oh, it makes me so happy. So I love this movie. Yeah. I first saw it in my late teens. Um, so I've always enjoyed musicals. Mm. I, and especially ones, I especially love musicals about show business. Yes. And yes, performing. It, yes. Those are some of my favorite ones. Mm. And so I discovered this. And I think at the time, the big draw for me was Natalie Wood. Because I've yep. always loved Natalie Wood. Mm. Um, and in the course of watching this, I fell in love with Rosalind Russell. Mm. But I, you know, this is one that I, I fell in love with the first time I watched it. I thought the songs were so good. The story is so good. It's the great performances. It's just it hits on every level.
0: It, oh, it so it does. Yeah. I
1: love it. Love it, love it, love it. And I've uh, watched it a million times since.
0: I will be watching. it Try
1: not to sing. Um <laughs> i oh, talk about this. Oh no, no, coming
0: up roses is gonna be tough. Um <laughs> it's yeah, it is absolutely amazing. It's kind of one of those musicals I'm surprised that because I was kind came late to, to musicals. I think, um, if you snuck in like a Muriel's Wedding or a Blues Brothers, then I would go, Yeah, I love those movies. If they actually stop and say, or it was a Disney animated like Aladdin or Lion King or something, I was fine. Mm. With but for some reason, this type of musical, oh, now I'm like seen in the Heights like five times already. So, um, I'm all on board for this type of um musical. And you're right, I do love musicals about. Show business about putting on a show. There's something intrinsically that that the two fit together because it is about entertainment. It is about music. It's all about these kind of moving parts, which Gypsy is all about. Um, I mean, that goddamn cow. Um, it's <laughs> it's um, it's incredible. And then you have Rosalind Russell, who actually spearheaded. She was the one who really wanted to do this um because I think she looked at the character of Rose and just went, "I can do you. I can do you well." I can do really well, and this is going to be my show, which this movie absolutely is. I mean, it's called Gypsy, but it's actually about Rose. Um, And it is – everything about this movie just works. I mean, Rosalind Russell can talk the fastest I've seen anyone talk. I mean, she worked in the Howard um, Hawks kind of school, so she learned how to just quick off the pace. And she does this in this movie. Whenever she's talking – She's talking so fast that no one can interrupt her. Like, that's the point. Like, she's constantly talking over people. She's constantly just, everything's chaos. I mean, some of the, I mean, this movie is funny as all hell. I mean, those jokes are um, And when it's sort of sad, it's really like, oh, my God. It's just, I'm, yeah, there's a, I mean, okay, Natalie Wood was one of the most, again, one of the most beautiful women ever to exist so i can kind of understand how they had to boy her down which is part of the movie um because when she kind of comes into full natalie wood burlesque mode that's all you can kind of look at because you're like oh my god look at natalie yeah. Wood, and that's when rose needs to retreat a little bit so i can understand why they did that because you'd be staring at natalie wood the whole time going why are you doing anything <laughs> at the moment um but, yeah, everything about this absolutely works. I loved how raunchy this movie was. I loved how funny, how biting, how it is literally about failing at being an entertainer and how hard it is to make a living out of it. I mean, this is not glamorous in any way, shape, or form. I mean, they sort of... This is a story about almost getting there, but not quite. Um, I love how domineering Rose is because you understand... Every move she makes, like the moment when baby June is about to is offered a contract essentially. Yeah, we want June, but no one else. And Rose just can't let it go because she's like, No, I'm meant to be on Vaudeville, not her. I use her, but I'm not. It's this is me. And she can't let you do it. And it is such a heartbreaking moment because when when they sing, can't you just get married and settle down? You feel for those girls because I don't know. I love that. I love this movie so much. Um, We must begin at the beginning. Um, What do you think of (laughs) that first opening number? Before I go completely
1: (laughs) derail this, so so the way music is used in this film, you know, and it's a musical, yes, but hey, you watch enough musicals, not everybody, not every musical is as adept. Yes. In this musical there are certain songs that come back at various points in the film mm. and and you get a sense of where the characters are and the passage of time and and how they are progressing along with the story. Yeah. And you also you also see how show business is changing based yes. on how the song plays out. Yeah, and so in that in that first um, in the opening when we see the baby June act, mm. it is okay. Yeah, it's not my idea of a good time. Got <laughs> 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 it. It's very pantomime. Yes, <laughs> it's, yes, it's very panto. But it's you know, and it's vaudeville, so mm. it it is, it's a family show. Yeah, but the costumes are really well put together. Mm. And it's choreographed perfectly. Mm. And, you know, June is hitting all her marks. And she's, she's bubbly. Mm. And, you know, she's got this great voice. And it all fits. Mm. The act works. Yes. And it's, it's very representative of, you know, that June is like this is this is the act that could get her to the top. Mm. You know, and and I love that right off the bat we see you know that that <laughs> poor June. <laughs> June is dressed like a doll. Yes. Ringlets, flouncy little lacy getups and and the song, Let Me Entertain You, is done in a very cutesy way. Like, all the songs she's doing are very kind of cutesy and...
0: Very specific it's... way she's enunciating words, which I loved. And yes. got funnier as the um the movie went on.
1: <laughs> oh, man, yes. And, and we see her sister, Louise, dressed like a boy. Yes. And we find out very quickly that, you know, Louise is the one with no talent. Yeah. Which, of course... It's like you got to take that with a grain of salt because yeah, Rose has a very specific idea
0: of what talent is,
1: of what talent is, and what the act should be, and how mm. June should be. Yes, and how, and how everyone should accommodate their act. Like everything, Rose has to have just so, and we find yes. that out very quickly. Oh my
0: God, the hat pin is just—it's used so many times. Okay. And if sure she takes it out, she's directing. And she is making sure that no one can talk over her. No one can push them off stage. Like the amount of time someone's tried to push them off stage in an audition. And she's like, no, no, quick, quick, quick. We're still going. Like She's getting that, making sure that final big act still happens. Everything has to be just so. And it has to be vaudeville. And it has to be this. And I think you get all that in that first act. The way, yeah, that Louise is like, oh, my mother hasn't discovered my talent yet. That's what she says. Like. I'm I'm just standing here, like I'm not I'm not anything. I can do a little heel kick thing, and that's it. Um, and though that is still an impressive move, and the way true June has to do those freaking splits, I just felt so sorry for her every single time she had to like. she was like, oh my god, you have to move organs to get down that low. Um, and it is yeah, and you really get who everyone is, who everyone's sort of space is, who Rose is straight off the bat. Um, so there's no sort of surprise of who she is, what she is. Um, I think it's sort of the opposite to baby Jane, how baby Jane kind of loses herself in the delusion. I think, um, Rose understands the reality, but she just doesn't want to accept it. So she keeps building up these walls, even though she's very aware of what's happening. There are certain points in the movie where you can see, you know, she understands that vaudeville is not happening, but she just can't accept So she's going to do everything in her power to keep it going. And um, you're right. I think there's an amazing way this movie transitions um, how entertainment is changing through the 20s, 30s, and the 20s to 40s or 30s to 40s, something like that. Um, Something like that. Yeah, there's a depression a little bit after the depression, and how you went from vaudeville to the movie star. And by the time Louise becomes gypsy, she's a movie star. She's in burlesque, which is what vaudeville is turned into because you still have the comic you still have the different shows you still have to have the wholesome show so the cops don't um barge in and arrest everyone and close it down so if you have one thing with a cow apparently it's fine um i love that cow um and and so everything like that so the time she's gypsy she's a movie star people want to take photos of her people want to She's statuesque. She's known for her beauty, which I think comes into a big part of what being a movie star is, especially in that time period. It wasn't um, necessarily how, especially for a woman, how well you acted. It was how you looked on screen. Um, Now you sometimes get the amazing actors like Rosalind Russell, Betty Davis, um, Joan Crawford, who knew and um, Olivia de Havilland who could mix all that up. But the primary focus is how good you looked in that dress. Um, there's a movie The Woman from 1939, which is I love because it's all about fashion isn't it, as much as about mm. these women living their lives. Um and I think that kind of that transition kind of really sort of shows you and the slow realization to Rose that, oh, this is what entertainment is now. It is not about the putting on a show and being talented in the way I want people to be talented. It's about something else. Um, And I love that transition. And you're right. There's the way the music kind of keeps changing and keeps coming back to research different points. I also love there's two types of singing in this movie. There's the onstage performances. And then there's when characters actually sing, but it's their, their internal moments. And I love when it's Rose, because I think gypsy gets a couple of songs with lamb and a couple of other ones. Um, but it's mainly Rose and it's mainly her trying to perform and trying to keep this dream alive of, no, I have a dream. I, um, uh, you know, everything's coming up roses. Everything's like, I can keep, I can, I'm creating this delusion to only keep it going, even though I'm kind of aware it's a losing battle, but I'm going to keep pushing this as far as I can until you get to that amazing final which kind of cumulates everything it's on stage it's performative but yet it is all rose singing about what about me <laughs>
1: yeah well and, and you know the journey in this film <laughs> it really is th- th- you know there's two there's two major journeys here mm. the there's the journey of louise finding out coming to find what her talent is, what it yeah. is she's going to do with her life. Yeah. Um but you also have which is probably really more, the more central journey, which is mm-hmm. Rose finally coming to admit that this was always about her. Yeah. You know, cuz I from right out the gate, Rose is always very quick to tell people that she had a dream for her girls. Yes. For June. For yeah. Louise. Um, you know, that she, everything she's doing, she's doing for her girls. That she's mm. a mother first. Yes. And at so many different points in the film. we You see how Rose's dream for the girls keeps her daughters from... Getting an education from having friends from doing the kind of performances they want to do. Yes. I mean, June
0: probably likes the entertainment industry, but she wants to be a movie star. She doesn't want to be a vaudeville star. So when she gets the opportunity to go, Oh, this could take you to Hollywood, Rose is horrified. It's like, Why would you want to? No, you're not doing that. That's because that's not my dream. I wanted to be a vaudeville star. This over here. And then June runs off and gets married at 13. I kind of thought that when Carl Malden said she's only 13, why is she getting married? I thought, oh, that's because she keeps saying the girls are younger than they are. They're always constantly little girls, even though they're, they're you can tell they're teenagers. I thought, oh, he's just saying that because they're keeping June at 13, but she's probably, well, 15 or something, which is not that much better, but it's, it's older. No, she's actually 13, and she's run off with this, like, 17, 18-year-old boy to get married. In Ohio, I think it is, where they hadn't changed the law. Somewhere, lore. yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it happens somewhere really quickly. In the middle of the country.
1: <laughs> happens really quickly, and they're like, "Oh well, June's married." I'm like, "She's thirteen! What?" <laughs> well, and, you know, I love, I love, love, love the letter. The letter that that June writes to her mother, and oh. leaves behind after she's run away. And yeah. in the letter, June says, "I had a dream." you know it was a nightmare yeah and it was that she was an old woman still doing the dainty june act yes and i i love that in the context of this double feature mm-hmm. with pairing it with whatever happened to baby jane because june's nightmare is baby jane's reality yes and the difference between those two women is that June doesn't want to be dainty June forever. June doesn't want to be baby June. Yeah, she June wants to grow wants up. to become Yeah, she wants to learn new skills. She wants to work mm. at her craft. She wants to move with the times. Yes. And she will never be able to do that so long as Rose is in the picture.
0: Exactly. And I like to think that she goes off and lives a good life, um, gets educated, learns a different kind of skill sets, um, kind of um, learns that because you see Louise doing that, you see absolutely is learning a different skill or that kind of thing. Because um, once you really get into what Burlesque is now, it, it's tough. Um, I mean, it's and but you see, yeah, she's kind of this force of Rose wants to move forward. But at the same time, she's always wanting to move move backwards. Where her, again, going back to the concept of where her youth was, before she got married to her three husbands who all left, she had two kids, and all of a sudden, all she knows is vaudeville, I love vaudeville, this is what I wanted to do, so I'm going to get my girls to do that. Unfortunately, they're moving through to the past, the depression into the 40s, where no one wants to go see vaudeville anymore i mean i would love to if they said oh we're doing a vaudeville re thingy i'd be like i'd go see that'd be amazing but it'd be a novelty because yeah it'd be something different because broadway is something so different to what it was back then um and it's just this kind of amazing kind of thing again she's this other woman who's living in the past who's kind of still living in the past and she's again like baby uh, whatever happened to baby jane this amazing actor from the 1930s um, who was one of the great, who still or always was one of the great comic actors. And she can do drama. I mean, you watch Gypsy and you realize that she's doing everything in this movie. Um, and it's kind of, people, it's kind of the thing of like, okay, people know me for the comedy. I'll give them the comedy, but I'll also give them something else that they can show. I mean, she's really showcasing everything she can do. I mean, I know they mixed another singer in with her singing, especially. Yes, the, Lisa Kirk. Yes, he was able to imitate a raspy voice, which I loved. Um, and it sounds amazing. Um, so she did a little bit of her own singing. Nellie Wood su- sung in this as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, it, And I kind of like the fact that sometimes people can't sing in this movie. It makes sense. There's a few yes. kind of notes. Yeah, because this is not about people who are amazing at what they do. They are just struggling to get by. They want to be famous. They want to learn how to do things. They want to get better but they're just not at that peak where they're ever going to go to here. and I love the fact that some of the singing does sound raspy does sound a little unpolished that everything I mean the whole right. the whole um burlesque song about you got to have a gimmick is so off key but it's so brilliant because it makes perfect sense for where they are and it's such a fun number of this dancing in the in the dressing room and they're in their you know costumes and everything it is it is Absolutely just delightful, and every single thing makes sense for what the story is. This is not an overly polished musical where suddenly everyone sounds like Judy Garland. It is um kind of realistic in a way, even
1: though it's with that facade of the music. I don't know. It, this movie is amazing. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's, I mean, of course, there's something wonderful about seeing a musical and hearing. Judy Garland or Julie Andrews or Ethel Merman, you know, who have those voices for show tunes. But in this story, because of the nature of the story, it's really cool that you get this, there's an authenticity to it. Yes. It feels very genuine. Mm. And because it's not some of those numbers are not super polished. Mm. And I I yeah, I just love that about it. And you know, Rosaline Russell as as Rose Hovick is so perfect. Yeah. And you mentioned this because she's um, you know, she's a beautiful woman and she's so well put together. But you know, I mean, she's a mother, she's a little older, mm-hmm. um, but it all jives, and you can see in her in the way she plays her Rose's kind of larger than life persona and her mannerisms and, and the way that she talks, you know, it really sells you that Rose is a hustler. Yeah. She steals. She oh. lies. Oh, she I will love go it. to any, any lengths to get to where she wants to be. And I, there's a great line um, Herbie her long-suffering boyfriend, played by (laughs) Carl Malden. Yes. Um, When he first meets her, her, he has this line. He calls, he says she looks like a pioneer woman without a frontier. Yes, and that is absolutely Rose. Like, she's... I love it. (laughs) It's,
0: it, I, I love the moment when she's kind of, I think she's already met Herbie, he's got this idea and Rose needs money. Rose always needs money. So she's like getting the kids to sell their jewelry, everything they can get. Um, And she talks to her father, who's a poor suffering father, who's probably given her so much more money in the past to keep doing this. Um. Can I have more money? He's like, no. And then they're talking about this plaque that he has. He's like, you've lived a boring life. All you've got it out of this is this plaque. And he happens to mention that it's made out of gold. And just the look big on her mistake. face. Big, big mistake. mistake. You don't say that it's made out of gold. Because the first thing she does is like, I can get money for that. I can melt that down. That's gold. That's actually worth something. And so I can use it to get where I need to go. And the fact that she's always constantly – there's – constantly Chinese, the fact that she's constantly loves loves Chinese because it's cheap, it's friggin' tasty. And the fact that um she can do doggy bags, which reminds me of my Nana. She was loved a doggy bag. Like mm. she would always just, if there was any leftovers, it was coming home. Like, um, I think my own mother is very particular about certain things. I think it's because she lived with my Nana and Nana was a bit more rose, and my mother was like, "No, we're sure. doing this, doing this a bit more domestic, bit more proper. We're not we're not deign to use doggy bags." And where this, you know, my Nana would make things out of blankets, everything like that. Everything was yeah, a hustler. And the fact that she's like stealing the color. Oh yeah, it's I mean, really like the, the everything's
1: worth. Yeah, everything's I mean, on like, that down. She's taken. It's it's yeah. As you're talking, I I'm thinking, you know as as this movie as as the timeline moves into the depression yeah and the vaudeville houses are are closing Mm. because it's there's a there's an economic depression people aren't working people don't have money to Mm. go to the theater to see a vaudeville show Mm. and herbie's trying to tell her hey there's a depression on and and rose doesn't get it and as we're talking I'm thinking part of the reason Rose doesn't get it aside from the fact that she just doesn't want to accept it yeah she just yeah I I can't accept that this is happening yeah (laughs) it's also I think too that because Rose lives this nomadic lifestyle hand-to-mouth begging borrowing and stealing Mm -hmm. to get she never knows where the next meal is coming from Oh, oh no yeah like so for her it's like depression well what's the difference Yeah, you're right. Because she just goes, "Oh, I lives
0: that way." I know the way she goes, "Oh, I know," and kind of flicks her hand. It's just like, "Yeah, whatever." It's just a day to day thing. It doesn't actually affect me because this is how I've been living my my life. I'm everyone's kind of come down to my standard, but unfortunately, because of that, I can't do what I want to do because I need people. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of this weird, amazing way she sees the world. And going back to the letter that June writes, the look on her face when she's just sitting on the, this barren train station, all the boys have buggered off. Like, I love the fact that they're all like eight, ni- nine. <laughs> she's constantly going, yes, don't say you're 19, say you're 10. <laughs> it's like, these are not. <laughs> these are, these are grown people, um, Rose. Um, That she um is just sitting on the thing on the train station, staring into space, devastated, because she doesn't know what's going to happen. And then you see Herbie and Louise making all these plans about how, Rose is going to get and finally get married. They're going to go home. He's going to go back to selling candy and everything's going to be fine. And then Rose is like, no, I've got a plan. Louise is going to be the star. Poor Herbie. <laughs> I mean, all he wants to do is marry this woman and it's not going to happen. Like she will do everything she can, which I understand. Actually, this is the thing I love about it. There's a clear distinction between a married woman and a working woman. And, The married woman stays at home. The the married woman does not go traveling around the country putting on vaudeville shows. She is – cooks meals. She does everything that as a wife is required. But she doesn't want that life. She can't stand the even thought of going back home. That is her nightmare. Um, And I love it. Even when she kind of finally succumbs after the first um, burlesque show, she's like, okay, fine well I'll marry you I, there's, if this is what vaudeville is now I can't do that but then of course she finds a way that louise can do burlesque and it's kind of this i don't know there's a very dis- weird distinction if she goes home and gets married everything's over it's a death to her because she's just going to be stuck in this house and not get the claim the fortune the admir- the the applause um that her daughters are getting um it's yeah i love how there's a very clear distinction between, okay, if she gets married, this is what life would be like. And she's doing everything she can to just push it back. And so you've got poor Herbie just like going, marry me. And
1: she's like, not yet. <laughs> right. Well, and, you know, I think it's, you know, this is one of the the very tragic things about this story is, is each of these characters, not to the same level as Rose. Yeah maybe in in holding on so tightly but each of the characters is is holding out for this for something that they they really want to be that yes. they really want to manifest that they really want to see come true for them mm-hmm. and you know for rose it's that her children will become stars and she'll get to continue to be a part of managing their careers. Yeah. Cause that's how she's able to be a star is yes. through them. Um, Herbie wants so desperately for the woman he loves to be the marrying kind. Yes. Rose is not the marrying kind. She doesn't no. want to be a housewife. Mm. She's never going to be that. And yeah. Herbie wants it so badly because he loves her so much, hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and he just, you know, and, and I think Louise wants so badly for her mother to be a mother, like the mother in your mother, capital and, M. Yeah. Which she's right. not going to be. And she's not going to be, and she wants so badly for her mother to, to invest in her. Yeah. You know, after all that time of her investing in June. But I, Mm. you know, I and I think it's it's one of the it's those, and there's all these points in the film where they where they reach like a new low. Mm. And and at each of those points, it's like someone could wake up and say, you know, Rose is never gonna marry me. Mm. Or, you know, I'm never gonna be able to make Rose happy. Mm-hmm. Unless I can, you know, be a part of the act in yes. terms of like Louise, you know, Rose could at any point say, you know, vaudeville's dead. I'm gonna need to figure out something else I can do. Mm-hmm. But nobody, nobody wants to do that, you know. And these you people s- do care about each other and they have yeah. these dreams, but nobody wants to pull the plug. And and there's a couple of points where I think, you know, Herbie or louise could have pulled the plug because june did yeah and ran away
0: well they come close um, each of them come even Rose yeah gets they do very close like she gets close a couple of times to sort of saying uh the first time is on the train station when you just see her devastated that june has yeah. left and it's um i don't know what to do until she figures something out, and when she finally says yes to Herbie, um, that's kind of her going, well, I need to figure this out and Herbie loves me and it won't be so bad. Um, They each get really, really, I mean, there's a few times when even uh, Louise and Herbie kind of get really close to admitting that what they want is never going to happen, but they never do except when Herbie just finally just goes, okay, that's it, I'm done, I can't wait for you anymore. Um, Yeah. Um, and kind of Louise, this happens to Louise when she becomes gypsy, which I was surprised happened like in the last 30 minutes of the, of the movie. Um, I was like, Oh, we get into the burlesque and it's 30 minutes left. But because of that, that's when you see her when she looks in the mirror for the first time and says, Oh my God, I'm beautiful. It's her kind of realizing that who she is doesn't actually have to be anything to do with Rose and she can go out there um, have a very awkward first act but kind of realize um she holds onto that scarf like a that that mink like a um uh like a, a like a she's holding onto a rope dangling but it's 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 kind of amazing when she kind of relaxes a little bit and realize she can work the crowd and she can kind of she's beautiful and the and the crowd knows this and she knows that they know it. and it's this kind of oh i i kind of see who i am that has nothing to do with june or with my mother and then she can kind of go out and do her own thing which of course something infuriates. of her own something of her own and of course that infuriates rose because that was never part of the plan it was right you meant to take me with you i'm meant to be i mean the fact when she sees that do not let my mother backstage is <laughs> um and she just kind of goes oh she just walks backstage anyway um it's kind of this thing of Yeah, I can be my own person, but that doesn't happen until way later in the movie because this movie isn't about Gypsy, uh, Gypsy Rose um, Lee. Lee. It is, Yeah, it is about Rose and it culminates into that amazing end song when she's on this on that burlesque stage singing to an empty theater about when is it going to be my turn? Um, I had a dream, but it was for me and I can't and she's realizing I can't keep living in my daughter's shadow because I'm not going to get what I want. I have to be true to myself. And I love it that they, the, uh, Louise and Rose do come together at the end because they can, can kind of realize that they can move forward in a relationship, but be separate people. It's kind of a nice, this movie is as brash as it is. It is so subtle in those moments. And yes, a lot of the dialogue can, will tell you exactly what's happening, but it's those little moments when you sort of realize all the cracks in between, um, especially with the music and just the way the thing works and how you realize that the relationships are actually very nuanced. It's, it's absolutely just, oh my God, if you haven't seen Gypsy, please go see Gypsy.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, you need to see Gypsy. Yeah, and I love how, you know, the final time that we see Let Me Entertain You performed, the final yes. time we see I Had a Dream performed. Yes. It's like we've 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 come the whole arc and it's like let me entertain you when when performed by baby june was that little cutesy schmaltzy like sing songy childish tune very shirley temple yeah yes very shirley temple and by the time that gypsy rose lee Louise Mm. has mastered her craft of the burlesque strip tease mm. now let me entertain you is jazzy and it's Sexy. confident and brash yeah. sensual yeah and it, it, it just embodies something completely different yeah I and love it how the- all- yeah to get it there yeah it did I love
0: how um you see her as you see her more doing her act she becomes more confident she's taking off more pieces of clothing um like the first time yeah. she just like drops a, a a strap and she's like oh and i'm like yeah you're well you're natalie wood so yes that works
1: um <laughs> she can barely walk in the heels
0: <laughs> yes she can barely. she's just like kind of very stiff and it's such an amazing awkward performance but by yeah. the time you get to the, some of the final pieces of let me entertain you she is just in very stunning lingerie she's hiding behind curtains she's being way more coy and it's much more sexual and um that's kind of when you can tell Rose is completely lost control because Rose has very specific morals of it when it comes to how you perform. It's very innocent, very virginal, very um, patriotic. Like there's a lot of like "isn't America great" kind of imagery, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then time you get to when Gypsy Lee, uh, Gypsy Lee Rose or Gypsy Rose Lee is performing, it's very um, come hither, very confident. It's moving along with the times of what entertainment now is becoming. Um, and it's not I mean she, she's dressing like a fashion like a high-end fashion model by the end of it oh, that yeah. amazing black hat she has or whatever thing that she has on at the end is so incredible and it looks like something that would be in a magazine in 1962, not necessarily in that time period, but you're looking at it going, oh, who cares? <laughs> who cares that's a, that's a
1: that's gorgeous. She is like stunning. <laughs> no, it's beautiful yeah and, and that final the final rendition of I had a dream when, when yeah. now Rose is able to finally say like the dream was for me. Yeah. Like, what did I do all this for? Yeah. I did this for me and yeah. it's time that I got something out of it. And, and just the way that those songs follow us through the film and we get the complete arc yeah. there at the end is, is so cool. And <laughs> I just, I just love it. I just love it so much. Now we haven't mentioned are you're aware that this is based on a memoir? Yes, it is. It, yeah, I knew it was okay. based. I had not read it, but it's based on Gypsy Rose.
0: Well, not she it wasn't her name. I think. Well, Gypsy was her stage name. Um, Gypsy Rose based, Lee. On, yeah. Oh, Gypsy Rose Lee. It is actually. Yeah, it is based mm-hmm. on her memoir and her experiences. How I think she actually did go through a failing vaudeville act into one of the top burlesque dancers. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know, what's I haven't read. I haven't read her memoirs. Like I, I've read a little bit about her life, but not her. the the book that they based this off of. Yeah. Um, But you know, what's interesting is that Gypsy Rose Lee was a big deal. She, and she was like, she had done a little acting. Yeah. Because she was so famous for her burlesque and for being this really fashionable, um, sophisticated performer. Yeah. Of burlesque. Mm. But so she had, she had written the memoir, but she, she didn't release it till after her mother's death. Oh yeah. Because she didn't want to get sued. Hmm. <laughs> she didn't want her mother to sue her. Her sister, June Havoc. Yeah. Was an actress. Um, and she also wrote her version of you know kind of the life story of what it was like for them growing up yeah and did the same thing didn't release her book until after their mother was dead because yes yeah. for sure rose yeah i can imagine you know
0: because i think this movie is actually very sympathetic yeah I, from what i've read a little about the memoir it's n- not exactly s- that sympathetic to rose like i always almost- sure. Um, I almost chose trailers of my a TV movie from two. I think it was from two thousand one. Uh, Life with uh, Jude, Judy Garland, me and my shadows, mm-hmm. which is actually written by her daughter Lorna, um, not Liza. It was. Um, I can't remember which daughter it was, um, and it was sort of about her recollections of having um, Judy Garland as a mother, which would have been entertaining and difficult in different ways. Um, sure. And also, of course, Mummy Dearest, because that's the ultimate memoir of the, the of mother, Um, which that movie gave me nightmares. I saw it way too young. The (laughs) face paint and
1: (laughs) wire hangers, no Um, more wire hangers, mother, mother.
0: I just like those the most terrifying. I just like had images of this woman in white
1: with a frigging knife. I was just like, Christina, bring me the axe. I could I mean I could do it. My neighbors are probably so bummed right now. Um
0: yeah, because it does kind of have that feel, even though I think Gypsy is far more sympathetic to Rose. You do get a complete more it p- is. complete picture than um because I actually love that. I remember watching the TV miniseries of uh me and um Judy Garland and you do get this very tragic sense of this of what Judy's life actually was, which was horrific in a lot of ways. Um oh, yeah. Cause the, the, oh my, and then what happened to her in her later life and why she probably was so difficult. Um, but again, it's that sort of sense of look how crazy my mother is. And this kind of has that, but you love Rose. You absolutely feel for her every single moment. You can understand why she's hustling. You can understand that she doesn't want to give up on vaudeville. You can understand her kids pain when they're singing a song about why can't you just get married? Um, it's, like, please get married. Just be happy. Don't, why are you doing this? Uh, We want you to be happy so we can be happy. Um, And she's a formidable figure. But I think this movie, even though this movie never feels exploitative in any way. I think there's just a way the music works and how um, Russell plays um, Rose that you're just so much more in Rose's camp than you really are in any of those other movies. I mean, you enjoy Mummy Darius because it's a insane performance and you're just looking at this going, what is happening?
1: Oh <laughs> um, yeah, but all the while you're saying, yeah, oh my I'm God, gonna- your mother is a monster. Your mother is a monster and
0: maybe Christine probably did see her mother <laughs> as a monster at certain points. Um, right. And Faye Dunaway is definitely playing her as a monster. I just don't think John Crawford ever saw herself as a monster because she was the beautiful movie probably star. Probably not. Yeah, I think there's a, I think, yeah, I, as much as I love Mummy Darius, I'd love to see the more nuanced version of a that. A more
1: balanced, a, more, a balanced. more objective. Yes, yes. I think John
0: Crawford probably was a monster in a lot of ways. Um, I just don't think she was the wire hangers um, lady. <laughs> but um, I think she probably did have an obsession with wire hangers. Um, but it was just, yeah, I love this This treatment of rose she is a monster in a lot of ways but at the same time you can't help but love her i mean when you're looking at biddy davis's baby jane you want to run away but i don't necessarily want to run away from rose i think she'd be annoying to deal with um but i think at the same time you feel for her as much as you do for anyone else in this movie you can tell she generally loves her kids and herbie it's just she's not going to be the person they want her to be she because she's just not
1: she's not capable yeah and i (laughs) I think Rosaline Russell has everything to do Mm. with how lovable Rose is Mm. the way it's written. Sure. Yes, definitely. But, but the way that Rosaline Russell delivers this performance makes Rose more lovable than she would be just on paper. Yes. And, but I think, and I think it is really important because it's, it's part of how, it's part of what makes it believable that Herbie sticks around as long as he does. This is true, yeah. That Louise sticks by her mother as long as she does. Mm. Cause if if June, you know, and June leaves and and that's fine, but it's like for for Herbie and Louise to stick around, all of those, all of the other uh performers, backup dancers in the act mm-hmm. for as long as they hold out. You know, and and part of it is, is that we all kind of fall in love with Rose, even though we know that Rose doesn't always do what's best. Rose is a little myopic and she's a little blinded by this, this dream that she has, and she can't Mm -hmm. always see past that. And... she's still lovable somehow and i think it has everything to do with Rosalind russell
0: i think that that is a really good point because the way Rosalind russell has always been such a warm actor she every time she's on screen there's something the warmth about her she's just fun she just you just want to be around her and you're right everyone hangs around her for a long time yes she is probably very controlling she's very this and that so you don't always see that you can leave um but at the same time she's got this warmth center that you're like, no, I see the good in you. I know that it's there. And I love how the longer boys stick around um, yeah. considering that they're not paid. And like, he's like, yeah, we might be able to start paying you soon. I'm like, okay, I guess the depression. <laughs> so there's just probably a lot of kids who you could just con into being in your act and not paying you, but it just gets to the stage. I'm like, You've been together for like six years, and you still. And then she find Then Rose is
1: horrified when she finds out Herbie's been paying them on the side. Yeah, he finally started paying them behind her back. Yes, <laughs> she's horrified and she's absolutely horrified. I mean, the children,
0: child labor thing in this movie is hilarious, and I just love. I mean, she even has a throwaway line of, write the girls' when she gets the new act with with the girls, and she's like, write the girls' mother so they know they're okay. It's like, <laughs> and they're probably not being paid either. <laughs> no definitely not yeah so she's again she's a hustler she's a con woman um (laughs) in the best possible sense because every single thing is about the con it's keeping the girls on the act on stage long enough even though they're being pushed off it's to go around it's almost like they need a hook that old thing of the hook to pull someone off stage yeah um they kind of need that. And she's avoiding that hook. Like it's like, no, no, no. One more act. We're, we're gonna do this. Do not take no for an answer. Um, she's an amazing, amazing sales, saleswoman in that respect. Um it's just, yeah, you just love it. I mean, it's so funny. My favorite scene um in this movie is when they're in just after Louise's birthday, when they get the cake and the in the mm. Chinese brilliant combo. Um, and The hotel manager comes in who's not realizing how many people are in this room and the fact that there are all these animals, like there's a little lamb in there, there's all these things and they're just running. It's like, have you ever seen the Marx Brothers movie
1: Night at the Opera? Uh, No, but I know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, there's a sort of scene where everything's kind of cramped into this kind of one cabin, and he's just trying to order more food than what he needs, because they're hiding the other two Marx brothers, and all you just hear is, and two boiled eggs. Um, This has kind of got that same kind of thing, where all this chaos, he finally gets the manager in the room, kind of tears it closed, go out. Herbie comes home, and he's like, what happened? He tried to have his way with me. <laughs> Again? <laughs> It's like the perfect punchline is just like, this keeps happening every single place yeah, they go. Yeah, not the first they time. Cause, this is not the first time. They cause chaos wherever they go. And it's, you, yeah, it's just, this movie is so full of life and color and amazingness that you just sit there and you're just smiling the whole time, even though Rose is doing some really shady things to the people she loves, um, like denying the chance for June to go off to Hollywood. Um she's denying her that because it's not her and it's but you're still smiling the whole time
1: I don't know it's it's an amazing feat (laughs) no definitely yeah and it's it is the levity and the liveliness yeah is is just what you need Mm. to balance those the kind of the tragic points the really yeah. sad points in the story it's like there's a beautiful ebb and flow yeah in this movie of the times when the act is going well or the family is getting along or things are getting better mm. and and it's and it's lively and it's fun and they're able to laugh and and the songs are up tempo and it's yeah like, and then and then you move into the moments of the film where they're going through rough spots. And it's just this really beautiful flow between those two things.
0: Yeah. Or, at the, or at the same time, even, I mean, the song yeah. coming up roses, Herbie and Louise are huddled together on the platform, terrified. Cause they finally think they're going to convince her pack it in. We're done. We're not doing this. anymore. Yeah. And then no, she's like, everything's coming up roses. And she's singing like he's on a Broadway stage. And with those two characters in the back huddled together in complete fear and horror, it's almost like a terrifying moment in a way, because you can kind yeah. of really see her building up the delusion again. It's like, oh, yep, I had it destroyed. I, I, I saw what was actually happening. My daughter's run away. She doesn't want anything to do with me. Um, okay, that's the reality. Nope, but everything's coming up roses. Louise is now going to lead the act. We're going to have a whole new act. Still going to have that cow in there. It's going to be fine. Um <laughs> And I'm going to sing everything's coming up roses. And then you just see those two huddled in the corner, almost uh, hugging just like, oh, oh no. it's great. It's such a great moment. It's yeah. it's got And it's got those two things you yeah. are talking about together in the same scene as the ebb and flow, but it's culminating in that one moment. And it's, it's, it's amazing.
1: Yeah. It's, it's so layered and, and yeah, like as, as you're watching this scene unfold, it's like, the juxtaposition of rose and and her just unf- unshakable mm, <laughs> belief in, in, in this dream yes and and yeah and then the effect that that has on on louise and herbie who are are, are realizing like wow not even june leaving not even june living leaving can can end this thing. Yeah. Like they have to be thinking like, where does this end? Yeah.
0: Th- yeah. Where does it end? Where does it actually, um, and it doesn't, even at the end, she's still got the, I've got a dream. Yeah. Um, it's changed because it has to, she realizes, oh, has left me. She's doing her own thing. She's successful without me. Um, yet I still have a dream. And this time it's going to be me. Um, I'm not going to push it on my kids. I'm going to be my own kind of thing. And it's a, it's a victory for her because she's finally putting her dream on herself. But at the same time, it still doesn't end. She's still going to keep going. I like to think she became a stand-up comedian, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> she got in on the comedy act of the burlesque. Um, but it's, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't end. This This dream will never end for her because she's going to constantly strive for that, which, yeah, I can understand why they published those books after her death because, yeah. Um <laughs> the reality of
1: Rose and watching Rose in Gypsy are two very different things. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, right? Like like if you just like list off all of all of the questionable choices and shady things that Rose does, like on paper it's just like it's appalling. Yeah. <laughs> and you dr- and you were dragging your kids around the country doing this stuff. Yeah. Um or even just um you know a moment that always really hits me really hard is is when Herbie finally decides to walk and it's because Rose is insisting that Louise do the burlesque um mm. because it's the top stop it's the star spot, yeah and after after oh, All all of the disparaging things she had to say about about the the dancers. Yes. And about burlesque. And the whole, all throughout this movie where she's been, you know, telling people not to talk dirty. And, yes. And she's been, you know, she's just, she has these values that she's been very loud about the whole time he's known her. Mm. And then in this moment, she, she isn't just willing, she's pushing. Oh yes. Louise to do it. And, and it's, there's something about Rose again, is like talking a mile a minute and she's justifying it. And she Mm. keeps talking faster to justify what she's doing and, and why this is worthwhile and why Louise won't have to actually take off any clothes and, you know, and you can see Herbie's reaction of just, he's completely appalled and heartbroken and you can exactly. see that Louise is like resigned. Yes. And you get all of that in the same scene. All you of do. depth.
0: Yeah, you can. And you can kind of see her making little allowances as soon as they get into it. Because the first thing she does when she realizes it's a burlesque theater it's like, we're not performing here. And it's Louise who says, look, we need the money. She's much more realistic about their situation. Like, she knows that what they're doing is never going to work. And she's like, look, we need the money. It's two weeks. We're headlining. Come on, we just we need to do this. And then she starts making costumes for some of the dancers. And then she goes out to be the comedian, help the comedian. Um, And you can kind of see Rose just, like, going, okay, that's fine. Okay, that's fine. Uh, and then as soon as she hears... She's headlining. It's like, no, you're getting out there. This is the dress you're wearing. This is the song. I'm pushing you. Mm. And, yeah, you can see He's just, like, going, okay, yeah, my mother's making All me right. do something. Right. She's making me do something else. What are we going to do? Um, okay, I don't have to take my clothes off. All right. Okay, fine. Um, And, yeah, in, then Herb is looking at her, Rose, going, who are you? You're not the woman I thought I loved. Yeah, Because the woman I loved would not be – doing this. You had these very specific values. Um, now, whether you can sort of say what those values are, but as soon as you see an opportunity for stardom, all those go out the window. It's very uh, this amazingly hypocritical moment but at the same time, it's then again, Louise goes out there and becomes her own thing. Um, it, this True. is not sort of a moment of oh, look at you. Explo-. She's exploiting her daughter, but she kind of turns it into something that Um, Well, she becomes gypsy, and it's something that she takes control over, which I kind of loved. It's never this look at, oh, look at these burlesque dancers. Aren't they, you know, um, aren't they awful? They're strippers. They're whores. They're all these other words that are assigned to these kind of entertainment. No, these are working women. They're doing their job. They enjoy it. They're good at it. And when Louise goes on stage, she's good at it, and this is who she is. Um, And I kind of love that notion of being a burlesque dancer and never sort of goes, no, this is not, this is not healthy. It's like, no, this is very healthy. She actually got away from her mother by doing this. She oh, became yeah. the and that's thing in her own kind right. of the best. Yeah. What do you think of Carl Malden's performance, I guess, before we finish up? Just Cause I think he, he's not as dominant, but he's always there and he's
1: always amazing. <laughs> I, I love the Herbie character. Yeah. And I think Carl Malden is so good at, he he's got that like teddy bear quality he does yeah about him and you know so I really buy this this man who has fallen in love with a mother and he loves her kids yeah he does that he's willing to tour around the country with them to try and Mm. make the dream come true and mm. and i I think he's <laughs> I love the look he gets on his face mm. when he's looking at Rose. And Carl Malden is able to just all in his facial expressions show, like just how much he loves and admires and is awed by this woman, yes, yeah. And and I think he just really sells a guy who is crazy in love with a really driven woman. And I, I think he just, he just, he really sells it for me.
0: Yeah, because I think if those two got married, I think, well, Rose would be miserable because they wouldn't be touring anymore. But I think yeah. he would, even being married, he would have been content to let Rose lead the way. Um, I don't. Oh, sure. I mean, if, it's kind of sad that they never realised they could have had it both ways. They could have gotten married and still done what they have done, but you know they're always going to get to a point where um, Rose was going to do something and then Herbie just go, I can't do this anymore. This is just over the, the line. Um, yeah. um, but, no, I love his performance. I always think he's a comedic actor, but he was actually a dramatic. I mean, he was in – a lot of Eli Kazan and uh, Streetcar Named Desire and mm-hmm. On the Waterfront, all that kind of thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, you were, like, a big dramatic character actor. You weren't – why do I always think that you were a comedian? Um, but I think maybe just because the name and the face. <laughs> I was thinking he was that. But, no, he would – yeah, and he was on all in those kind of movies in the 50s. So it was um, – he's still doing – he's kind of the dramatic centre of a lot of this movie because everything else yeah. is just, like, loud and he's just kind of the – the, the the solid center, I guess, as it were.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, no, and there's, I love this scene where the where they get to the burlesque theater. Yeah, and 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 the theater manager says, you know, I don't even remember what he says, but Herbie doesn't like the way he's talking to Louise and Rose.
0: Oh no, he's yeah, and
1: Herbie. I mean, on a dime, yeah. has this guy by the collar and is able to intimidate him into calling <laughs> him sir and them ma'am. Yes. And acting in a way that Herbie will see as being respectful of them.
0: Yes. You're looking at a lady or something. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a great moment because, you know, I think throughout the film, it's really easy to kind of write Herbie off as you know this guy who's in this relationship with a a very assertive dominant mm. personality and that he's kind of the more mild more um passive, passive person. yeah person but he's not if like he's not yeah necessarily mm. it's it's the dynamic that he and rose have mm um you know but he is a smart guy and he's not a pushover no
0: he does he's the kind of the guy who will always do the right thing whether is that's protecting his girls paying actual paying his talent um and able to facilitate what rose wants i mean he's actually the one that kind of books a lot of the theaters he's the one that actually kind of gets all the logistics done rose is the idea as a person in the relationship she's like i would like this And then Herbie's like this really kind of amazing kind of character that's actually able to get what Rose wants, even though Rose can never get what she wants. I mean, we keep saying I probably should call the show of orderals dead. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because it's never coming back. It is now burlesque. And I love being in that burlesque theater. There's something so homey and gorgeous about it that's more inviting than all the other theaters they performed in, this is kind of feels yeah. like the family because you've got the same core of people who obviously perform together all the time. They squabble, they fight, but they know each other and kind of know how they work. And there's now they've got this kind of force that is Rose coming into their midst and they don't quite know how to deal with it. But the fact that those dancers invite um, Louise in very quickly and sort of say, Oh no, this is how you can be a ballet dancer. You're, you can be one of us. Yeah. Not, yeah. yeah. They yeah, take her I under love-
1: their wing. They take her under her
0: wing very, very quickly, which I kind of love. And that's maybe why you see Louise kind of go full forth and, oh, I'm good at this. I like the people I'm surrounded by more than whatever my mother's trying to get me into. Um, even the guy who wants to take uh, June away to be an actor. I'm like, oh, that seems a bit dodgy, even though I don't think Rose is saying no for the right reasons. I think... Yeah, you're sending a 13-year old girl to be in the Hollywood studio system. Um, which is a very dangerous and the fact that they don't want grueling. the mother there, I'm just like going, yikes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could go badly. Well, it's and two badly. at the burlesque at the burlesque house, there's also um it's not the stage manager, but one of the other mm. one of the other guys running the place. Like talks to louise directly yes and rose tries to butt in Mm. and give an answer and he's like nah it's like like no louise is the talent louise is Mm. the person that's about to go on the stage like he wants to hear from louise
0: yes yeah the burlesque dancers tend to have more control over their career within the burlesque than anyone else does everyone else needs a manager everyone else needs rose um to try and get everything done and it's it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely incredible movie. So um keep saying this, watch Gypsy, because it's a movie that will surprise, keep surprising and delighting you, no matter, again, a very nuanced movie. Um This is one of my surprises of the year. I, this is a movie I'm definitely going to go back to and back to. Um,
1: oh, I'm so glad. Yeah,
0: it's. Yeah, I I love it so much. Anything else you want to say about Gypsy? Um, Because I'm thinking, I'm just going
1: through my notes and I'm like, I think I've just said everything. (laughs) But I can can talk about this movie for another hour. No, it's (laughs) awesome. And the soundtrack is great. Oh, the soundtrack is so great. Yeah, it's a banger. So many bangers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we go, um, please, Kamalita, tell us where people can find your good work.
1: So you can find me on twitter also mm. letterboxed same handle for both yeah carmelita says
0: yes definitely uh please follow her because she makes every podcast she's on um better like there's a great legends Aww. episode on film feast the uh fly day chrono Fly episode is really great and that is a movie you get into so much well me does the wrong word for it because it's the fly. <laughs> um <laughs> it's um and and yeah it's just um your inside the sequel ones have been great i mean it's just especially your film feast uh not film feast uh, the film alchemist sorry episodes have all been great um i finally got around to listen to the saint Maud episode just because i took me a while to see it um that's a great great episode um oh,
1: thanks what did you think yeah. about
0: Saint mine really quick I, I really liked it yeah it um that makes me happy yeah it's I, the more I think about it, the more I love it, and the more I love the central performance, I think. And, again, talk about the how you want to see the world and the delusions you wrap around you. But that final scene is horrifying. <laughs> I'm glad you finally got a chance to watch it. Yeah, it took me a while, but I finally got around to it, and it, it's absolutely amazing. Um, so, yes, please check out every single podcast you find Carmelita on, because in Carmelita we trust. Um, I think oh. Daniel came up with that, actually. Um, but uh, it's... <laughs> Which i could take credit for that but no it's absolutely amazing um thank you for listening to shock and all um yeah it's if you want to follow it on twitter it's a and one for instagram and twitter um if you want to follow me it's reading geek on letterboxd and also twitter um and and they yeah, do want to do
1: that you do want to follow schlock Awe. yeah <laughs>
0: Um, I'm finally getting out to see new movies, so I'm um, yeah, it's I'm writing all about well, I'm giving little things on, on Letterboxd at the moment, so I guess I'm active on there. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening and we will be back with a, another double feature. All right, thanks guys. Bye.
1: <laughs> we made it, we did it.